You are listening to another Always Moto production. The Always Moto Podcast with your host, David Hogan. We talk moto events from around the world. All the injuries, all the training ins and outs, the bikes, parts and gear inspections. The results, we interview your favourite riders. It's the Always Moto Podcast. We occasionally have some coarse language and the odd stuff up along the way. If you don't like it or you don't agree with us, turn it off right now. I'd like to remind you that he is not a doctor. That's right, Moto fans. I'm not a doctor, but I am, and I am. I've got the qualifications. I'm a physiotherapist. I've got the paperwork, people. This is episode 96 of the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Liat Moto Australia. Head over to liatmoto.com.au to find some gear for you at Liat Moto. Uh, as always, I'm your host, David Hogan. Thanks for joining us here on the Always Moto podcast. We are in the depths of the clinic throwing strapping tape anywhere it will stick. As always on the show, we'll be going through all things moto, but particularly the injuries in our sport because hashtag injuries are a part of moto and so is the recovery, but that's just part of how it goes. When you get injured, you've got to make a recovery and these guys in the moto scene, they know how to get back on a bike and quickly. This week's show, we're going to look back at a crazy, crazy 250 East Coast opener from Detroit, uh, as well as the racing in the 450 class there and the return to the top of the step for Jet Lawrence in the 450 class. Uh, We look ahead to round six at Glendale in Arizona and that massive, massive floor space and utilization of the track on that floor space. Uh, Always look forward to this round. It's what a massive supercross track should look like in most cases. Let's hope it plays out that way again, Uh, but it's looking pretty good from the track map so far. We've got the emergency department updates and we also, we've got some check-ins. We, like I said, we missed out last week's show. This week's show, we've got two check-ins, which are going to be really cool to listen to. We've got, uh, we're checking in with a number 23. It's the new number 23. It's Gizmo Mods, Rock River Yamaha's Grand Harlan. We check in on his pelvic injury and how his rehab and his recovery is going. Yes, he's back on the bike and you'll hear more about that later on as we talk to Grant. But we also check in with a team manager for the HBI Racing Kawasaki team. That's right, that team that Ty Marsipal rides for, fairly new team as you will hear. Uh, we talked to Matt Bell, the team owner and team manager there. So pretty exciting to talk to both of those guys on this episode of the Always Moto podcast. But hey, Moto fans, this episode, as, as mentioned, is brought to you by Liat Moto Australia, the ultimate gear and protection solution for riders seeking top-notch safety and style. From head to toe, Liat Moto has you covered with innovative helmets, goggles, body armor, and more. Ride with confidence knowing you're backed by gear designed by riders for riders. Head over to liat.com.au and gear up for your next ride. Now, in all that gear that they have sent us so far from myself, my wife, my two kids, uh, we're rocking. And if you haven't seen the social posts, you should check out the colorways. They're pretty funky. Um, very bright, the ones that I'm rocking. The, the family likes the black gear for some reason, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the Larry side of things. And, but the thing that I've liked a lot from the lead side of lead, lead guys, those uh, flex lock boots, the 5.5 boots, 
They are pretty comfy. They are very protective. They do everything that they should. They rival the Tech 7s if you're in that Tech 7 world. Uh, these boots, these Leet 5.5s, they rival those. So check them out if you haven't looked at them before. I think you'll be impressed. All right, but and speaking of f- boots and, and obviously where your boots got to go on the bike, onto the foot pegs, do you need some new foot pegs for your bike? Maybe you've worn them out. Maybe they're not as wide as these new style pegs are that they have for the aftermarket options. Maybe you want something that's a bit more functional. Have you heard of pivot pegs? Pivot pegs actually pivot and stay in contact with your boots a lot more to make sure that you are getting the best ability to contact the bike and maintain your balance and reduce the fatigue of your legs. They're also super wide, so they fit nicely in that arch of your foot and they're not sticking in there too too much. They're making it more comfortable for your ride. So, if, you, if that sounds like something you'd be interesting, head over to Pivot Pegs with a Z, pivotpegs.com and check them out. They've pretty much got something for everything, so they'll have your bike on their site. All right, competitive edge performance. Are you training? Are you? Do you really train? Because you should be. If you ride motor, you should be doing something in the gym. And look, competitive edge performance – they can help you take your performance to the next level. Competitive Edge Performance is the go-to strength and conditioning provider for sports programs, sports nutrition, on-bike coaching schools, and for athletes of all levels. Whether you've just started out or you're a seasoned pro, they can cu- they've got you covered, offering in-person sessions and top online programs accessible anywhere, anytime through their awesome training app. Join Competitive Edge Performance today. Always Moto Podcast listeners, you can get 50% off your first month on their training app using the code COMPEDGECOACH. That's C-O-M-P-E-D-G-E-C-O-A-C-H, all in capital letters. Now, speaking of training, sometimes you just need some better equipment in the gym. And look, Slantboard Guy is that option for you. Slantboard Guy, they are that simple piece of equipment to help you get your stronger legs and improve your standing technique on the bike. Um, use the code AlwaysMoto in lowercase to check out and save and get a 10% discount on your Slantboard Guy Slantboard. Now, endurance recovery boots, if you've trained... Maybe, maybe you've done some work with competitive edge performance and maybe you've been on that slant board and you need to get recovered for your next session with them. Well, endurance recovery boots can help you do that. That pressure, that, that basically that self-in-home massage ability, just sit back, relax, watch, your, watch the TV, read a book, read, scroll the internet, scroll your uh, social feeds, whatever it is you do, just press the play button and you can get some relaxation and recovery done with the endurance recovery boots. And it, again, use the code AlwaysMoto in lowercase at checkout to save with endurance recovery boots. Don't forget TechWins 167 3D printing. They can get something cool for your bike too. You need a funnel that screws in so it means no mess. That's really handy. The one we've got for the Gas Gas EC350 that the wife rides. We've been doing the oil changes with that funnel. It's awesome. It's a little little bit you've got to be careful when you're screwing it in to start with, but once you've got it going, it's just like any other nut and bolt. It just goes straight in. Um, works so simply. We've been not too polite to it, to be honest. We've been throwing it around into the boxes on the shelves on the in the trailer whatnot. It's surviving. It's fantastic, this 3D printed piece from Tech167. So check them out. If you let them know when you get in touch for ordering that you listen to the Always Moto podcast, they will give you a discount as well. Now, also, personal plug here. We need some support. We need the T-shirt sales to keep continuing to come in. Our Always Moto T-shirts are available. They are $25 plus postage and handling, and we need your support of the show, and we need you to rock it at your next race. Email us at info at alwaysmoto.com. 
Put T-shirt order in the subject line, send in the size, and we'll be in touch regarding payment via PayPal and the delivery setup. Now, if you want to support the show direct, maybe you are too sexy for that shirt. Maybe you don't wear shirts. You don't want a shirt. You don't need a shirt because you've been maybe you've been training with competitive edge performance. Maybe you just want to send a donation to support the show. You can do that via PayPal as well. Now, to find all of those links, the PayPal link, the links to Tech 167, Competitive Edge, Slant Board, Endurance Recovery Boots, they're all available in the show notes or on the link in the socials, um, in the bio on the socials. So check them out, get to them, support the supporters that are supporting us, but also support us direct. That'd be fantastic. All right, enough with all this intro babble. Let's jump into the show. I'm Brighton Carroll, riding for Team TCD, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, let's get into this thing. It was Detroit. Uh, I don't know why I was so excited for that. That one wasn't that track-wise, wasn't that fantastic. Very small track, 44, 45, 46 seconds on the lap times there. Um, that 90-degree entry turn that we talked about, I mentioned it last week, or at least I posted about it. I'm not sure if you guys are all guys and girls out there are all following me uh, at times on different platforms, but I'm pretty sure I put it up on Twitter that I thought it was a terrible idea. But, look, the 90-degree the left-hand corner into that last lane uh, of the you know stadium there. So they got the full width, and but not the full length. Obviously, they're heading full width across the track on the start, 90 degrees into the last lane on the length side. It always is a problem. It's been that way ever since they started doing it, uh, and it brought itself to favour. It may probably change the results. Obviously, things got really stacked up there in the 250 class. Um, Austin Faulkner was back on top, and Jet Lawrence got the job done. We're getting the Jet experience with a hole shot. I think we're going to have to start coining that, the Jet experience, when he hole shots and just leads every lap, and that's the end of it. Uh, So it was interesting nights there for those two guys to be up and about and obviously rebound for Jet. Finally, after a couple of rounds of inconsistent behaviour, let's say. Uh, but for Faulkner, obviously it's been a long time for Faulkner. Lots of injuries, uh, lots of shit in between, to, as they say, to get to this point. Uh, and maybe he was owed one, finally, not to be a part of that you know, absolute shit show that was that first corner in the main event that led everybody in the ground. Normally he would be in that, but somehow he was not for a change. So whether that was technique, patience, age you know just having a bit more a perspective on how things go and he just maybe he just nailed that start maybe the bikes are a bit better set up for the starts this year who knows but he definitely got one paid back i think on that side of things so nice work for Austin Faulkner but yes that first corner holy shit guys we need to get rid of those sorts of turns maybe we need to make it so that they don't turn into that last lane at least turn into the second last lane and somehow run the track that way so that they then don't have the wall as the only option if they run wide on the corner. Yeah, I know they've got pads that they've popped out there for that sort of situation, and thank Christ they do that, but let's give it some more room. It Make it so that if they do run wide on that corner, they're not just going straight off the track. They've got still dirt into the next lane to give them space to actually make this happen. And maybe it's just the start that goes into there. You can take the make the track go around into that furthest lane for lap two, um, but just have the start direct somewhere else so that it's, you know, a bit different. I think still the the difference in, in the starts is it's got to go down the center of the, the, of the stadiums to make it work. But obviously that then takes out a potential width of the lanes. It's, it's a problem that they've got. They haven't figured it out. I don't have an answer for it right now, but they need to do something different than what they did there in Detroit. 
So who else was in the winning sort of side of things? Max Anthony, our Australian Supercross champ, was up there, got second in the 250 class. That was awesome for Max. Obviously, potentially assisted by that, you know, that field going down and a lot of the contenders being a part of that. But what I'm looking forward to, what I'm looking forward to for the next week's round is obviously the potential battle in the East Coast. And obviously, we're not going to get that this week in Glendale. We're going back to a West Coast round for the 250s. But... I want to see what Deegan can do. Deegan obviously put in a very nice ride, so that's Hayden Deegan, put in a very nice ride to salvage some points with the bars that were basically pointing the wrong way down. So well done for him on not quitting. That's an awesome thing to do. Not so stoked on the uh, the finger flying uh, that he was seen doing in the coverage. Not sure why or what, what that one was, but I'm sure he's probably um, rethinking that one after seeing the replays. Um, so in the heat of the moment, maybe he just needs to pause on that. But I'm keen to see... Faulkner, Anstey, Deegan, McAdoo with a start. If all of those four guys can get a start and be one, two, three, four off the beginning of the race, I think it could be really on. And particularly in the later parts of the season, if Faulkner and and Deegan are still fit and healthy by that point, because obviously lots can go on, as we talk about in the emergency department later in the show, this... These two guys could be a very interesting, you know, two people to go against each other. Obviously, Faulkner's been a little bit of an interesting character at different times. Deegan's obviously very, you know, brash, confident. Will those two create some drama between them? I don't know, but it'd be interesting to see how that plays out if this, if those two can go one-two over the next few weeks of the racings for the East Coast Series. Now, obviously, we mentioned McAdoo, and if you, we can't. We can't go past the fact that he was otherwise known this week as Sackadoo. I don't know how it happened. I still can't understand why, but holy crap, to do a moto like that with your whole junk hanging out the front of your pants. One, he needs a medal. Two, he probably needs his head red. And three, I bet you he needs a lot of moisturizer to get rid of that freaking carpet burn that he's probably got all up and down his junk. Thank Christ he's got a, got a wife that's probably going to look after him during the week. <laughs> There's no way that was pleasant at all for him or her at all this week because, God damn, that was not a pretty sight to be seen, nor would it be a pretty sight to see still. Um, and we definitely got, obviously, a hell of a lot of uh, more information that we ever probably needed for McAdoo than we, we, we're never going to get ever that ever again probably from, from anyone. So, And look, what that should do for everyone, like obviously in a stadium on the ground, unless you're in those front few rows or you've got a decent camera and you're zooming in, you're possibly not going to notice that that had happened as in you know family members watching it, right? Um, fans watching. But at some point, that is a bad look for the coverage for the sport and if if say he got up and he wasn't bikes weren't jammed together and say he managed to work his way up into like fifth or something right how is the tv going to go and show him and his progress in the field when his dick is hanging out of his pants that can't happen um so i think you will see i'd be very surprised if they don't add some sort of rule to the rule book in the very near future that states if you have a malfunction to your equipment and you are ex- indecently exposed, you are will be required, you know, but you have the potential to be black flagged and you will be required to pull into the pits and cover yourself. And if that is unable to do so, you'll be, you know, unfortunately removed from the, from the race. 
that has to happen. That can't happen again. One, it's probably getting us a bit of coverage in some places that you probably didn't normally get on the, on social media. I bet you Sakadu, sorry, Macadu has got a lot of TV, a lot of um, Instagram followers, a big bump in his listing uh, this week. But it's all you know for the wrong reasons, and I don't think they're going to stick around other than just to see those stupid bits and pieces to begin with, and then you know fade back off in terms of you know, the following of the sport. It's a it's a short-term bump. It's not a long-term gain. So I think for us that needs to be a bit of a rule change to, to come into play with that side of things. Now in the 450s, let's talk Jet Lawrence. Um, it's the Jet Lawrence experience with a whole shot. It really is. He has a manner of controlling a race and then just gapping people at will. He can slow down. He can speed up. It's like he has no issues when he's out in front. Yeah, he had a couple of moments in terms of almost crashing, but on that Detroit track, if anyone saw those images of the ruts in the transitions in the corners, everybody was having moments, and he only had two, and you know, one being that he managed to catch his foot onto that on-off section. So, look, once Jet has these sorts of starts, I pretty much going to say unless there's some sort of major mistake from him he's going to just going to manage it like he did in the outdoors and that's a problem for the rest of the field i want to see obviously we want jet you know as an aussie we probably want him to win um just to be able to you know on the things like supercross fight club on facebook be able to give it to the yankees but if we're standing as a standpoint is in a neutral point for this to, uh, for the sports growth I want to see the scenario where Jet gets like a fifth place start and Tomac's in front of him, Anderson's in front of him, um, Cooper's in front of him and Chase is in front of him and maybe Barsha and, and you know, Hunter or something is right behind him uh, in six and seven and just see what happens. I want him to get that on a track where they can all move around and just see if he can still do what he's done to the field in motocross, in supercross, see if he can move through the field and then manage the race from, you know, the halfway point on. But I want to see that challenge to Jet. Uh, you know, it's awesome that he wins the races, yes. I just want to see if he can do it from different scenarios because obviously those other times in terms of the mud and the triple crowns, he hasn't got those things worked out in the 450 class as yet. But can he work out just moving past a few people to get through? He did all right in the heat race against Anderson. I thought there was a chance that there, you know, there might have been some uh, retribution from Anderson for some of the things that were said and done. But they sound like they've worked that out. And they raced hard but fair, which was awesome to see. So will we see something along those lines in Glendale? Unfortunately, I feel like as much as this track is something that Eli Termack is usually very good on, we'll talk about Eli in a second here, I feel like this bigger track, and obviously Glendale is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, floor spaces that we're going to get in an AMA Supercross. It has long lanes for rhythms, very spaced out track layout. Um, There is plenty of opportunity for Jet to show his speed on this track and get a reasonable gap and say, "See see you later to the field. So it might not be the track this time, but maybe he just gets, like I said, that fifth place start. And that would be cool to watch this week at Glendale. Now, Eli Tomac. What the hell happened to Eli Tomac? Nobody seems to know. I posted about it. I based it off the uh, press release, the Yamaha press release. That's all we have. Nobody in the Tomac camp basically responds. It's kind of like the Deegan camp. They have their own way of communicating with everybody when they want to on their terms. If you, if 
if Eli's not going to tell you, you're not going to know for sure what the actual, you know, reason for his decline from third back to 10th, what it actually was. I heard so many different reasons for it this week that I kind of just gave up on it. Nobody actually had a response. And unless Eli tells you, it's not true. So let's just move on. Let's just see what happens at the next week. If he recovers, like Glendale and Detroit are his tracks. Not Detroit. Glendale and Daytona, sorry, are the tracks that Eli owns. Will he have those sorts of rides? They're both not too far away. Um, obviously, Glendale's this weekend. Daytona's in about two or three rounds' time. So if he doesn't have good results in these two, Start hitting the panic button, people. Obviously, he had that good ride in the third moto of the Triple Crown in Anaheim too, but that was one ride, shorter duration. I'm still seeing just a little bit of tendency on, you know, timidness on that left Achilles. I'm not sure that he's 110% just yet. And will that be that the reason that I stated at the beginning of the season, I had a poll on Twitter, I thought that there's a chance that this might be the year that Eli doesn't win a race. That's pretty hard to say. It's potentially on the cards at the moment. But if he gets, but it, like I said, depends on Glendale and on Daytona. They're the two rounds that I most think that he has the best chance of winning. But we'll have to wait and see. But uh, as for the reason for this weekend, who bloody knows? I heard flat tire, shock issues, uh, forearm pump, Achilles issues. Um, what was the other one? There was one more. I had five things. I can't remember, but they were all. Essentially, they're all BS at this point. All right, let's um have a quick chat. We talked about last week some of the changes to the track that we'd heard through some of the other media sources about the move to a nine-whoop section max and the removal of Dragonbacks from the tracks. And I sort of called out the fact that I had some stats on those areas and that they didn't potentially support that being the, you know, the area of most concern on a racetrack. It seems interesting that I, they have since then also mentioned. So there was an interview with uh, Mike Mui, um, and that was done by Steve Mathers. Again, Pulp MX, he's doing some really good interviews of late, getting some different information that is bringing a lot of this stuff to light. So well done to Steve, but I'm just going to make comment on it. I've reached out to those guys. I've reached out to the AMA, trying to provide my information and my stats, and no response, which is disappointing, but it is what it is. Hopefully we can get in touch with them, but look, We'll wait and see what happens there, but I don't feel that those moves are, you know, supported. They did indicate that they had some data um, that supported it, and I would love to provide my data to go with it. So we'll see how that all plays out. All right, let's um, let's just have a quick pause here. We're not going to take a break. We're going to take a quick pause and come back with the contractor. The contractor's back. We're going to have a quick chat about Always Moto Fantasy, the bootleg league. All right, the Always Motor Contract is joining us. Ben Grinley, how we doing, mate? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Busy as F, as they say. Um, day jobs kicking my ass, suspensions getting worked on late at night. Got a race coming up. Can't seem to get my tips in because I've been just terrible with uh, remembering and signal and service. So I've missed the last two weeks, which is pissing me off because you're in front of me now. It can't, it's, <laughs> not, it's not all that good. <laughs> Well, I won't complain that I'm in front, but yes, uh, it, sometimes life just gets like that. Yeah, look, I, I, was ta- I think I said to you when we were talking on the phone at another point, the bootleg league is awesome, but my one drawback is that I've uh, I've been used to very much going onto the pulp side on like a Friday before I log off from work, so I you know, put in like an early team. 
And depending on when that goes, like their pulp, you know, handicaps go up, depends on when Lachlan can actually get them and put them into our bootleg league, which has then meant that it's a little bit delayed and potentially not up until like late Friday night or Saturday or something. And I just can't seem to get back on the computer or the phone to to do it at that point. And, you know, and then I've just had signal issues because I've been in different places over the last few weekends. So, yeah, it's just screwing with me. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to get in the different pattern somehow. Yeah, it is a little bit different, which it makes it a little bit a little bit hard. You've got to have one page open, then go back to the pop website and whatever else. And like you said, if they're a bit delayed at, you know, and, you, and you're busy, um, it makes life a bit tough. But, uh, yeah, we, I guess we're lucky that, lucky that we've got something at least. Oh, of course. I, I'm, not, I'm not complaining on that side of things at all. It's <laughs> just, um, yeah, it's just a bit – you're getting a usual pattern. Like it's, we've been playing pulp fantasy for quite – quite a couple of years now and yeah it's just you've got to move over to the a different time pattern and i just haven't managed to catch up on it just yet so yeah i've got to work it out a bit better but i've checked the spreadsheet now uh lachlan's all over it this week you can already make your tips so by the time you're hearing this um good to go yeah that's right i haven't done mine yet but i'm going to uh yeah i'm gonna have to put them in because I'll be leaving home tomorrow, so just in case I don't get a chance over the weekend, I better uh, better just quickly put some in. Yeah, definitely. No, it'd be worthwhile. Now, let's uh, quickly have a quick look at the leaderboard. Um, overall results, and Dobson 110 has been killing it of late. He managed to get 302 last round, Benny. That's an awesome score. And that is a very good score. He's been high, quite high too. His worst is actually 145, but most of them have been high. Mid to high two hundred, so that's pretty pretty good from Dobson. Second place, he so hold on. So Dobson is uh, totaling at one thousand one hundred fifty nine. Second place is Jonesy seventy nine on one thousand and eighty nine, and then Dillaway is on one thousand and eighty four. Now Lockie, uh, Lachlan is actually in fourth. He's on one thousand and three, so he's doing all right. Um, now I've got to scroll down. Now obviously I'm at the bottom because I've missed two rounds, right? So I can't really. Can't really claim much here this week, but I've got to scroll down a little bit. Uh, Benny, you're in like, what's that work out to be? Third last, fourth last um, with 763. Yep. What is going on, mate? Oh, that's just the uh, just the normal. But as I sit here and look at this leaderboard, for some reason, round six has 25 points for me. I was going to so say, you've, got a, you've got a leg up there, mate. You're even worse than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got an extra – yeah, I've got an extra few points. But I think um, that may be because I've got uh, one person picked on my team. So, Potentially, uh, yeah, something's astray yes, there. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, no, that's, that's, my normal, uh, that's my normal spot. I don't – can't seem to get some nice scores like the top few people, but uh, we're trying. Yeah, very trying, yeah. But look, um, we're just going to quickly run back down through a couple of the other leaderboards because I've noticed that Lachlan's got them sitting there nice front and handy, which is awesome. Dobson 110 has been killing us. Round five he won, he ran round four, he won round two, and he was second in round one. Jonesy won round one. and Dillaway won round three. But, yeah, these guys are obviously professional fantasy league players, Benny. Hey, yeah, they are. Um, they've done pretty well. And, they I mean, they did well in our, um, you know, last year in the game as well. So mm. I think it's just a continuation from that. And they probably, uh, you know, study up and 
sort of pick, you know, maybe better picks than me trying to make up points picks, I guess. <laughs> You're trying to make up points from round one, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, how did your round last week go? Obviously, I got zero because I didn't put anybody in. But did you have any have any major wins or major failures? Uh, so, I had two people. Well, one person missed. Um, Cade oh. was trying to practice, you know, the the hill, what he'd learned in the hills on the racetrack. Uh, so that didn't go down too well and he didn't even make the main. I actually um, reached out, just while we're on this, I haven't said this anywhere else, but I actually reached out to Cade to see if he was okay after that. And he, he's fine. He, he said he's obviously a little bit sore, but he's fine. And I said, did you not see him coming? And he goes, I was in front of him. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. Because we could see it coming on the coverage from from a mile away, but obviously Cade didn't, and he got hit from behind, or at least in the side. Um, and yeah, that was a bit of an awkward moment for Cade to finish his night there in Detroit. Yeah, so yeah, it didn't uh, that didn't do me any favors, but it's unfortunate. Um, you know, he was three from three at one point, and then I think what's he missed the last two? So uh, last two or last one? Anyway, it's, yeah, yeah it's not two. ideal. No. Yeah. Um, and then I had Cullen Park who, um, yeah, unfortunately ended up with that wrist injury. So they were probably my two uh, two biggest losses of the night. That and you've missed on Tom Vial for first of the finish line. You obviously got cleaned out in that first corner. So, yeah, not good on that part. You just deducted yourself seven points. So, Well, I, I got the FFL with Jet, so it sort of covered that a little bit. But, yeah, not, not ideal. No, no, not didn't work out for you in the long run. All right. Um, any any obviously we've just got a chance to look at these um, tips for this week. But is anybody standing out there for you? Well, actually, this might not be. Where am I looking at this? This I don't think this is the right screen. Is there anyone there that's going to stand out for you for this week's picks, mate? Um, it's I don't know. It's so hard. Um, you do, I guess you just. Uh, what do you do? There's people that are somewhat consistent and some that aren't, and then seems to be when I pick someone who I think is going to do well, they don't. So <laughs> it's so hard for me to pick, and others probably just go in and go, yep, I'll have one, two, three, four, done. Um, but I think you just, you know, if you can pick Jet, you stick with Jet. If you can pick, you know, maybe Chase or uh, Webb, you stick with them too, and then gamble you know, the other two spots or three spots of, you know, who's going to make the main and be consistent. If we talk All-Stars for a second, the 450s, do you gamble on Eli Tomac this week at Glendale where he's normally super good? Oh, the diehard Tomac fans probably will, but I'm not sure that I can. Yeah, I just there's something weird going on. One, obviously, didn't talk about what happened to him this week, this past week at Detroit. You know, the information is just absolute bs um that's coming out seems so far but the as much as everybody was you know oh he's back from the moto three win in the triple crown at a2 i don't i didn't really buy that that was that good he didn't look his normal self everyone's like oh he's back because he's in front but i feel like there was a bit going on behind and obviously that third race people are you know cooper didn't have to push forward because he was he already sort of knew where he was in the field um yeah, I didn't. I'm not quite with Tomac just yet. Yeah, no, that's my that's my exact thoughts. You know, like you said, people were saying that oh, you know he's got the win, he's back. Um, but yeah, you know, the people had their points. They knew where they were going to finish. So what's you know they didn't 
didn't argue the, you know, argue with the track and, you know, possibly make a mistake and whatever. They just settled for what they had. So uh, I'd probably need to see more from him, you know, a lot better this week to then even think about putting him in a team the next few weeks. Mm. Now, 250 West this week. Um, Levi Kitchen's got the points lead, uh, but RJ Hampshire is coming in, jo- Jordan Smith. Do any of those three, do you pick them as your, um, you know, your all-star for this round for the 250 West? Does the track lend to either or any of those three guys better, you reckon? I think I, at the moment, I'm um, liking what I'm seeing from uh, Levi Kitchen. He's probably the most consistent, I guess. Um, RJ sort of had a bad round and the last, you know, the last round for Smith wasn't that good either. So, um Maybe it's time for <laughs> Levi to have one of those rounds, but I think at the moment he's probably the most consistent and uh, I think I'll probably go with him. I'm curious how Levi, like Levi's two wins for Supercross are both in Triple Crowns, so I'm curious to see how he goes this week now that he's got that confidence from last week's win on the Cowie at a big you know, big track in terms of Glendale. So, yeah, I'll be curious. I probably – I might be leaning towards him, actually. I just – I feel like this track for, for Jordan – well, Jordan might be all right, but I feel like RJ, this one's a chance for the higher speeds that he's going to be able to get that he RJs, if you know what I mean. Yes, we might get the uh, yeah the full the full RJ experience uh, this weekend with yeah a bit uh, higher speeds. Yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. All right, well, I think we might in terms of the tips and stuff. It's a bit hard to do because I'm not picking up the right screens here to get the handicaps and everything. Well, I think we might leave that there. But we're going to thank our two fantasy league sponsors, Coastal Motorcycle Centre and Helltech Australia, um, for the ongoing support of the Bootleg League. Now, Benny, have you got any updates on the Rocky Mountain? Uh, side of things or do we need to leave that for this week um no there is some updates i i scored some uh i scored some more points that's for sure um <laughs> i think this weekend was my best weekend so um but it's just doesn't want to let me scroll down for some reason to our group um <clears throat> so we've got 325 motorsports in first position with 226 points oh really uh yeah, so um, Matt's not doing too bad there. Um, Aaron two three four is on two hundred and twenty points, and Walsh Banger is on two hundred and eleven points. So uh, it's very close. The top four oh, and uh, what is it? Full toe twenty nine is on two hundred and six. So the top four it's are tight. very close. Yeah, it's very tight. So obviously Aaron there from Full Noise is doing well, and uh, and Walshy's up there as well. So yeah, nice work, guys. You don't have to keep that up. Yeah. So um, where are you in your, this Um I am in twenty fifth. So I think I was twenty ninth at one point. Uh, maybe twenty seventh then. And, yeah, now I'm in 25th with 122 points. So, yeah, those top guys have got about 100 points on me already. They've gapped you already. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, a couple of leagues going different places every which way. But, yeah, thanks to um, to Coastal and to Helltech for those things, support with it. We'll um, work this all out a bit further. I think we're going to have to talk to, uh, to Lachlan about some sort of um, – you know, mulligan system here that we can get like an average points for for when I stuff up and can't get in and signal and everything so I can actually get something out of this because otherwise it's going to be an absolute shit show. And yes, we might need to uh, do that, but then everyone might want it. So that might be 
something that might be difficult. Well, I think <laughs> just I th- to let you have one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going for just me. I'm not making my own rules here. I was going to make a blanket thing that if you miss it, you get like an average, an average score minus twenty or something. You know, it's just so that you can stay in the league and and progressing forward. Because I actually last year used the Mulligans system with Pulp a lot to um, make sure those couple of times that I was going to miss, you know, save me. And one of them actually got me second overall in the uh, in the league one time. So that was quite funny. Yeah, they're definitely worth it. Um, I haven't actually used them because I've been lucky enough to uh, to not need them. But, yeah, they do, um, they do come in handy. Uh, I think even, you know, listening to the Pulp Fantasy podcast at times, it's had a higher... Uh, higher score than you know what the experts have picked so uh, it can pay off oh yeah definitely definitely can pay off so yeah we'll have to um have to see if we can implement something with 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 Lachlan but I'm just gonna have to remember to actually tip this week that's 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 plan a yes and we need uh need to get the tips in tomorrow uh hopefully he's got them got them up otherwise maybe Saturday morning yeah we'll see how we work out all right, Benny, let's leave the fantasy talk there. We'll, we'll um, take a quick break here on the Always Moto podcast and uh, we'll be back with more. What's up, guys? Kevin Rands here and you're listening to the Always Moto podcast. All right, guys and girls, we are back. Thanks for sticking around on the Always Moto podcast. We're getting to the juicy bit. We're heading to the emergency department. The emergency department. All the injuries, all the gory details, and when they'll be back on track. It's the list you really don't want to be on. You really don't want to be on this list. And look, the guys on the East Coast, 250 class, had their opening round in Detroit and a few too many of them joined that list at round one for them. It's terrible. It's horrible. But it seems to be how we keep continuing to go in our sport because we don't seem to progress. We don't seem to change our approach. We haven't seemed to improve our protocols, and we'll get to that sort of talk later in this bit of uh, the show here. So let's jump into things you should note. The Seth Hamaker incident, that was a bit weird, to put it politely. Uh, there was plenty of sources across the different media outlets on uh, Sunday morning, our time Saturday on race day, reporting that Seth was going to be out from a crash from qualifying. Lo and behold, he's there in the main program, in the heats, in the main, obviously getting involved in that first turn crash. Um, Some might say he was the uh, catalyst for it. But why was he able to race? There is multiple different opinions here, but the one that I want to bring to light was the situation where uh, on the Pulp Race post-race podcasts with their review show, with Jason Wigand and uh, Jason Thomas and Steve Mathers. Obviously, Steve Mathers was reporting about the fact that he had a concussion and he was out there, then cleared the, like, then went out and raced. And JT was obviously trying to save him in that conversation because he knew the implications that Steve was indicating uh, and that he may not have been appropriately assessed by the medical crew and was allowed to race despite the fact that there is an AMA concussion protocol in place. Uh, and it was obviously potentially not followed in this scenario so it was interesting hearing that like hearing steve reporting it hearing jt trying to backpedal protect it um from the obviously the rider point of view but also from steve's point of view that you know maybe he shouldn't have been saying that i'm wondering if anything has happened from that because that's a very uh, slippery slope to be talking about that sort of stuff because it seems to be hush hush and you know all all protected but 
We'll get to the points that I'm going to make here in a little bit in Dave's diatribe about the concussion protocols and our usual concussion discussion that we seem to always bring up here on the Always Moto podcast. But that situation shouldn't happen again. And look, he raced. It is what it is. It's been done. Everybody's okay. But the risk with that is too high. All right, let's move on from that one. We'll come back. We'll circle back around to concussion protocols and our concussion discussion in Dave's diatribe here in just a few minutes. All right, next on the list, Chance Hymas. Now, this is an interesting one for me. I uh, put up a little post during the week from the Honda press release post-race around all of the riders, obviously, but obviously the one I'm picking out here is Chance Hymas. Now, Chance, as you recall, did really well in a couple of the opening rounds of Supercross last year. Did the couple, I think it was the, ended up doing the first four of the AMA motocross before getting injured midweek prior to Redbud. Uh, he did really well at race round four, the race before, which I believe was high point, leading a few laps there, getting a reasonable overall result. Uh, but that re- midweek uh, incident before Redbud left him with an ACL rupture that he then went and got repaired. Now, the reports are that. Uh, during the heat race, he managed to pop his leg out um, in the sand section and tweak his knee to some degree. Now, obviously, that has not been released completely here, and we're speculating about the next parts of this story, but the fact that he dropped significantly from the lead in both his heat and then in the main suggests that that knee is not coping very well with what happened at that point when he has dabbed his foot. Now, dabbing your foot for someone with an ACL or post-ACL rupture will know all too well that that is not an ideal situation to end up in. It is very much a painful thing if you jam those bones back together, but it's also the position that you potentially ruptured it in the first place and you're putting yourself back in that stressful point. Now, we talk about recovery and like being ready to return to sport now if we think back that uh that injury happened in late june we're now racing in february we are only around that seven month mark which is reasonable but he has been back on the bike probably since november late november december so the recovery time is in that five month window before he was back on the bike now we're just we're sort of just potentially rushing this recovery time here is what I'm getting at and whether he had the adequate strength and stability to be putting it down in a sand section in a supercross mid-race you know we won't know because we haven't obviously seen the the rehab numbers that he was hopefully comparing himself to to say that he was fit and ready but let's look at the point that if he has how bad has he aggravated this right there's potential scales here obviously of what could have happened from that dabbing of the foot. Now, he might have just dabbed it, jammed the bones together and, you know, sort of bruised internally the bones because maybe everything wasn't quite ready to take that sort of load. Bone bruising, if that's the case, yeah, it's going to be sore for a couple of weeks and you'll be A-OK in a few more, probably like three or four, but he will be, you know, ginger on that leg for a couple of rounds. And if he dabs it again, obviously he's re- re-aggravating that area of the bruise, potentially keeping it there a little bit longer. But overall, in the grand scheme of things, it's not too bad. If he's dabbed it and he's potentially strained the ACL, maybe that repair site uh, has been tweaked a little bit. There is the risk that that is then going to need further work um, or at least further rehab in terms of greater stability training and greater control from the hamstrings to control the position of his knee rather than relying on the ACL. Maybe the ACL has become a little bit slack in that area. Um, Obviously, you want that ACL being nice and tight and taut controlling the knee joint but when you stretch them 
unfortunately the ligament can become stretched and you end up with like a, a partial tear but a stretching of it it becomes lax uh, it's not at a point where it needs re- replacing or you know reconstructing but it's not doing the role that it should be in the best manner you've got to then come up with the body's got to compensate in terms of betting better hamstring control but a better quadriceps control, better calf control, all those muscles that cross the knee joint need to be able to do more work to control the position of the knee as it's moving through and potentially when it's under high load. So maybe there's a couple of weeks there of rehab. Now he has got three weeks until Texas round. Whether he's able to then get enough of that done in that time, we don't know. He, the other side of this is then what if, and in, in, in the worst case scenario, what if he has completely re-ruptured that repaired site? Well, that's a bit of a pickle, isn't it? Because one, he's within nine months of the repair being done. Two, if he needs to go in and get this reworked, obviously we're then creating an increased recovery time because you've got to drill out, remove the old uh, area, you know, take out the old, old new, (laughs) the new old now, um, you know, ligament repair site potentially have to wait for that to be re- recovered enough to then reinsert a new area because obviously this bone it hasn't completely remodeled at this point in time either remodeling of bone takes months to really actually be back to a you know completely fresh piece of bone think of a piece of timber you know if you drill it a few times and then you fill it with some putty or some you know sycophlex or something it's going to go hard in a couple of hours, but it's not going to be completely skewered until, you know, a week, two weeks, month down the track, right? Similar idea. You drill a hole in the bone. Yes, it'll fill the bone back in over a couple of six to eight weeks, but it needs to remodel and reshape and and get harder and firmer uh, so that it can continue to take the load. And it does that by getting further impact onto that area over time, months, years. Uh, so if you then you know rush back in, have to have this redone. There's a risk that this then you know has to be a two-stage job: one to clean out what was there previously, because they now got these anchors that have been put in, as in you know surgical stainless steel in that area to anchor the new ligament into place. They have to take those out, let that area recover, then go back in and put it back into there again. So there's a potentially long layoff that this could take. Then obviously that increases the um, effect of you know, detraining, reduction in muscle control, um, endurance, all those things get worse. So then the rec- the rehab afterwards in terms of getting back to fitness takes a lot longer time. So there's a lot of uh, what ifs for the here at this point with Chance Hymas. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he just tweaked it and was a bit scared of it uh, and it, you know, felt didn't feel good. Hopefully, maybe he just ruptured some, some scar tissue, which didn't need to be there. Uh, and once it settles, you know, the day or two afterwards, he's A-OK. That's best case scenario. Let's just see what happens. I'm very curious to see how Chance Hymas is when he rocks up to Arlington for the round two for the East Coast guys. Whether one, whether he's on track and going fast, or two, whether he's on track and his foot is on the peg a lot more than previously, because uh, that is one of those telltale signs. If he's babying an injury, of particularly an ACL. You don't want to take that foot off the peg. So we'll be watching closely with Chance to see what position he ends up in. One, can he race? Two, if he is racing, is he protecting it? Or three, is he just look like he did on those opening laps of that heat race and he's out front killing it? Very curious to see how Chance Hymas from on that HRC Honda looks at round two. 
All right, next on the list, Evan Ferry. Evan Ferry on that Triumph Racing. Well, yeah, Triumph Racing. I don't even know what the rest of that team's called at this point. I'm still learning all these names for these new new bikes and, and teams and whatnot. But the Triumph looked good. Evan got the LCQ race win, uh, which was probably a nice little confidence boost for Evan in that first pro Supercross race for him. But unfortunately, the wider gate pick, he was on the very outside of that complete shit show into the first corner for the main event there for the 250s. Managed to meet the wall in an untimely manner, but luckily for Evan, I think by the time that he got there, his speed had obviously reduced. If you watch him at that point of the that he's leaving the track, yes, he's leaving the track, but it's at a reasonably lower speed than what he initially came into the mid part of the corner with. So he'd slowed a lot. And yes, the other guys flew across in front of him and into him to push him into that barrier. There was a padded wall that he managed to impact, which is also helpful. Um, and he obviously ended up with a, you know bikes and other riders into him on top of him. Again, by that point, the speed had slowed a fair bit just to save Aaron. Now, Evan. Now he did impact his head into the wall. I dare say he was on a minor minor like concussion protocol there. But the video he's popped up. He's He's okay. By the time with the three weeks, he has actually got the best case scenario to be recovered for Arlington and pass all the protocols without any need to rush the protocol. Um, obviously, the AMA concussion protocol is a five-step process, can occur over five days, usually takes the six because of the Sunday being you can't get in to see the medical specialist until the Monday to start that process. Um, but yeah, look, he's going to be, by the time that three weeks rolls around, he should be A-OK and back on track. So unlucky but lucky for Evan Ferry there. The race was unlucky. The outcome was lucky that it wasn't worse. Lorenzo Lucercio, uh, Wildcat Racing, is going to do the East Coast Supercross this year uh, after their pretty impressive outdoors run on the 450 with Lorenzo uh, and Jose Butron. Lorenzo is doing the 250 class, but unfortunately he, he managed to do – some of the riding in the uh, you know the qualifying sessions <clears throat> made the night program, but was uh, he's actually been dealing with some illness the week or two before the event, and just wasn't capable of doing the night program, so he pulled out. By the time the East Coast round rolls around here in three weeks, Lorenzo should be all good to go. Quite looking forward to seeing Lorenzo back in Supercross. It's been a while for him. Uh, it should be interesting to see how he competes in that East Coast series as well. All right, a little update from uh, the host Grindstone Kawasaki team and Dylan Walsh. Now, if you remember back at A1, Dylan didn't make it out of the qualifying sessions there. He managed to get a handlebar into the stomach, got some intestine lacerations that required surgery through the abdomen. Now, the difficult part of that is when you are... you know, obviously having this abdomen cut open, you've got to go up the middle of your six-pack and cut it and then have them go in to do the work. They've then got to stitch that back together. That muscle has got to be, you know, nice and knitted together. I know all too well about this because it happened to me uh, to get my spleen removed. When you're working that back together, you've obviously got to get those that, that knitting together and hopefully not have any of those stitches pop early and separate early and then end up with a hernia uh, and further work so look he's obviously working out well from the team but the update is that he is doing really well and he should be ready to go by seattle so that's really positive news for dylan walsh it's an uncomfortable awkward injury and it can also be a pain in the ass like i said because of that 
potential risk of you know separating the abdomen muscle that they've cut through to get to the internal organs to do the repair work um you know risking of hernias in the future so yeah good to hear that dylan's doing well Richard Taylor, uh, our privateer mate, number 141, uh, ex-brand Goggles Jr., I guess you'd say. Um, he is – we checked in with him. Now, if you recall, we talked about him a little while ago on the show. One, we had an interview with him a, you know, a year or two ago now um, about some other injuries that he had occurred. Excuse me. But um, – this time he'd managed to break his femur and his patella and he'd also previously had some patella issues and had a cage around that patella that's then impacted into the femur and created other issues. Now, we checked in with him this week just to see how the recovery is going. It had been a couple of months because this had happened in October, I think it was, off the top of my head. Uh, and unfortunately for Richard, the femur fracture is still what they class as a non-union, meaning that it's still in two pieces. So it's been quite the process for Richard. I actually said to him, look, are they talking bone grafts and further surgery to sort of, sometimes they can scratch the edges of the, or clean up, you know, essentially get out the grinder, rough the surface back up where the two pieces are trying to grow back together and try and encourage to speed up the, re, the, the growth, regrowth of the bone and the reunion of those bones. Um, but he said, no, there's nothing, nothing's been talked about, no bone grafts, no, nothing like what I suggested. Um, they're just waiting at this point. He's, he's got to follow up in another six weeks that he's just had a review. So they're just waiting, unfortunately. But the problem with what's been going on for Richard, as with many injuries, when they start getting long in the tooth for the recovery and maybe not happening the way that they should be, your body obviously has to work still in terms of getting up and around, right? Like if in terms of the leg, he's still he's in a position that he can probably get up and do a little bit in terms of a little bit of walking, maybe with some a crutch or two or a walking stick to try and work around, right? But because you're not walking in a normal pattern, right? Your normal gait pattern is altered because of that uh, injury. You're going to have a limp, right? That then leads to you compensating somewhere else in your body to still make the movement happen, but you're using something else to take the load. You're trying it. Your body is very good at compensating for an injury and accepting load somewhere else for a short period of time. But when that period of time becomes too long, you obviously start to get a pain somewhere else. Now, unfortunately for Richard, that seems to be in his hip. And until he can get this bone healed, he can't get anything really sorted out with his hip. Whether there was an injury from the crash as well that was sort of hidden from, you know, hidden from view because of the pain and the re point that they were looking at being the femur don't know at this stage they haven't really been able to investigate it yet but unfortunately until until the femur is sorted out he wouldn't be able to do anything with the hip anyway if he did have to get something done so at this stage we just talk i talked to him a little bit about some of those other you know alternate therapies that he could try and do to try and help the situation but again he's limited on his ability to do different exercises and whatnot because of the femur so little bit of a pickle situation for Richard Taylor, but um, yeah, unlikely that we're going to see him anytime on a bike um, anytime soon, which is you know terrible news, but hopefully things can start to turn around uh, in the next six or so weeks. Once he sees that specialist, he'll know more. So just a bit of an update on Richard Taylor, just so everybody out there knows where he is up to. Now, next on the list is Joan Cross. Now, we, ch we caught a Quite an interesting post from Joan this week uh, that he'd, he'd, you know, he's finally being able to train again this during the week. And so I reached out to Joan. I'd spoken to him previously and he mentioned that at A1, he actually had a crash and managed to uh, injure some ribs. Now, obviously, many of you out there probably have done similar. 
at the time it hurts like shit and they unfortunately hurt pretty much every day there on out because every time you go to sit up out of bed, every time you go to sneeze, every time you go to laugh, anytime you want to take a deep breath, those damn things will stab you with a pain right where that fracture is and it's unpleasant, it's uncomfortable and he's been not able to ride during the week. Obviously, he's trying to been take it easy a little bit and let those recover but then just still trying to race on the weekends so he's then potentially undoing all that rest period each time he's gone back out but he has actually indicated that he's feeling a lot better this little upcoming break he's going to be able to train during the weeks again so he should hopefully start feeling a better and hopefully getting better results come uh, texas in a couple of weeks time Jonah Geisler, we spoke about him a few weeks ago on the show as well. Obviously, he had that injury in the preseason where he broke both arms, lower arms, as in wrists and elbows. <clears throat> now, it's, we've seen Jonah. He looks like he's been doing okay recently, and we checked in with him. He's actually been doing some team manager work for the team that he was going to race for, which is awesome. He's been able to make himself useful in this recovery time. Now, interestingly enough, in talking to Jonah, he is actually going to not race this year. He's going to stick with being the team manager for the rest of the season, which is kind of cool. And I actually wondered if that would happen for Jonah because, you know, he's obviously uh, at a point where he could race, but he could, uh, you know, enjoy the other side of the sport. Uh, And I was wondering if that might be enough of a window for him to see that he could do that really well and, you know, potentially get a consistent income without... without having any risk of injury each weekend. So he seems to be enjoying it. He said that he might return to racing next year. He will see how it all goes and, you know, obviously whether he whether he continue, wants to continue in being that team manager role or not. So, you know, interesting time there. But Jonah has recovered, uh, could be back on the bike here in a couple of weeks just for, you know, play riding side of things, but he won't be returning to racing in 2024 as per the update at this point anyway. We'll see if that changes or not. You never know with a racer. All right. Other injuries, so out following injuries in San Diego. Now, these might not be out all for two of them because depending on, obviously, they've got a three-week window to get to Arlington, being on the East Coast only guys. The 450 guys are obviously racing this weekend in Glendale. But those guys that raced East Coast 250s yet last week don't have a round for three weeks. So, first on the list, Jeremy Martin. We're back in a concussion discussion again. Jeremy Martin, that crash was... Oh, look, it, the crash itself wasn't that bad. It was the impact and the manner in which the impact occurred was what was the ugly part of it. You know, spinning around flat onto his back, going head, the back of his head first into the into a whoop face. Oh, that was not pretty. Um, it kind of reminded me, uh, when we were learning some stuff in our physio and exercise science university courses for myself, we were doing some parts about obviously learning the segments of the brain and what segments did, you know, what part, whether they were for, you know, cognitive processing, whether they were for vision, whether they were for, um, you know, planning, all this sort of stuff, right? We're trying to learn which lobe does what. Well, the occipital lobe is for your vision, uh, and it's at the very back of the brain, right? And so we had to do this little skit and make a skit and see if the rest of the class mates at that point could work out which part of the brain we were doing the skit on as in we had to put together a little piece whether it was a movement whether you tried to look at something you know which part of it was the the brain going to do that particular function and they had to try and work it out right now ours was that we were driving along in a car 
looking at all the stuff that was going on, but then we also hit something and we had one of our persons fly out of the car and, and we're just sitting in chairs, right, you know, in, in the classroom pretending we're driving a car, but we'd jump out of the, the car and we'd all fall forward and we turned around and hit our back of our heads on the ground as we went down. That is exactly, I just had the flashback to that point because I was like, oh, wow, that's what we did. So Jeremy's hit that backside of his head. One, in terms of the concussion protocol, right, he's on protocol. That's clear and simple. He had to get medical help, so he's on the protocol. He hasn't been able to avoid it by getting back on his bike and riding off before anyone could assess him. So that's good, right? He's getting the appropriate um, care and procedures to return that he needs. Good. In terms of, and, and he should, if everything goes well, if it's only, the, as per the team press release from Club MX, and thanks Mike Bonacci for passing that on, it's, he's termed it a mild concussion. So ideally that means that he should be able to clear the protocol by the time that Arlington rolls around. We'll have to see how that goes, but that's, you know, in theory that could all be possible. The part that I'm curious about is exactly what I was trying to explain there from the, the university skit. I wonder how his vision is because he hit the back of his head there. So that vision side of things is what is going to be most um, impacted in this concussion, likely. Um, possibly not because obviously there is the, there's the effect that the brain sloshes, hits the back, but then sloshes forward and will slosh the other way and hit the front of his head. So whether he's impacted the front, the back, and got the most effect on the brain, not sure, but I'm going to go with the fact that he's hit the back um, and just bring up the point that, that, like I said, the occipital lobe is at the back there. Whether his vision, you know, is impacted with with some concussions that hit in that area, it's quite hard for people to then, um, you know, look at their phone, read a book, um, watch the TV, because all of those uses of the eyes to, to interpret information, the changes in light of the room can all impact how they are then having post-concussion syndromes from that, you know, that area of the brain. So I'd be curious to see how Jeremy's going with that. Hopefully he just clears up, you know, quick as a whistle, but it's, you never know with a concussion. So yeah, look, it was an ugly crash. Ideally he can clear that protocol by the time the next round comes around, but let's just wait and see. Hopefully we'll hear from the team the week before to say that he's a-okay and uh, we'll provide that update if we get it. All right, next on the list, We'll stick with, excuse me. We'll stick with the Club MX Yamaha team. There, um, Jet Reynolds was making his trying to make his pro debut in Supercross, and if you recall, two years earlier he tried to do that as well with Pro Circuit Kawasaki, and managed to injure himself on the press day before the opening round. Uh, I believe it was a broken wrist at that point. Now this time he managed. He rode the press day on Friday, a okay. Got into the qualifying sessions, had a crash. Managed to do, as per the team update from club again, um, managed to do an AC joint separation. Now, no no word on what grading that is, how you know minor, how extensive it is. Now, we've spoken about these previously. They are really well done in terms of being able to return to riding. You can tape them, you can support them with different things, uh, and you can manage to get through, you know, painkilling injection, it will all help, right? So there is a potential that he can get back to things, you know, fairly quickly from this one, depending on the severity of it. Um, but that's, yeah, that's just another one of those uh, injuries. It's just sucky timing for Jet. He seems to not be able to do these things when it matters the most since he's tried to go pro. So hopefully, again, three weeks. If it is a minor grade one, meaning that he's only just, you know, strained the ligament in a 
minor sense, no complete tear or anything, then there is a chance that he's able to rehab that over two weeks. Usually that's about the time frame for them. Um, and if he's got all the access to the, to the things he needs, which I checked in with Mike, they apparently have those things on site at the club facility. So we'll see how that works out for him. But yeah, he has the potential to also be back for um, next the next round for the 250s in Arlington, but maybe he's a week or two post that, depending on how it goes. But he could just ride through it. And I think he's at the point where if, he, if he's capable of doing the laps, at, you know, a couple of laps at you know, the club facility during the week, I think he just goes, tapes himself up, has a pain-killing injection, whatever it is, just to finally get that first race out of the way. That would be ideal. All right, um, next on the list, Cullen Park from Phoenix Honda. Unfortunately for Cullen, everyone would have seen most of these things. He had an issue in qualifying. He had a issue, an issue in the heat race. He had a first-turn crash in the LCQ. And then in the main event, he managed to have another crash. If you've seen the video, he basically just comes up short, ghost rides the bike, walks straight off the track, holding his wrist. Unfortunately for Cullen, we've checked in with him. He's getting some further um, you know, medical attention scans done this week. It has been reported that he had a dislocated wrist. Now, for the couple of people that reached out and inquired about this one um, in our group chat and um, pro- uh, other direct messages on Instagram, thank you. It's always cool to get you guys messaging us, asking what we think of that and or to explain it so you can understand it. That's what we'd like to try and do here at the Always Moto Podcast. I actually explain these injuries and not just give you what the like give you the injury and their person's out because that's you know that's super easy any idiot can do that um (laughs) that's not targeted at anyone in particular maybe it is i don't know um but yeah look we try to explain it so the dislocated wrist right there's in the wrist there's more than just two bones meeting as in your arm bones coming down and then joining your hand in simple terms that's what it you know looks like there's actually eight bones of little tiny eight little bones in the wrist that make up the wrist joint. And I'm using my fingers to make air quotes like wrist joint. <laughs> if only you could see that, I look like an idiot right now. Um, but the eight, eight bones, they're all separated um, and a tiny piece there. They all move into beside each other to allow you to do those things like move your hand side to side, turn your hand over, flex your wrist, extend your wrist all that sort of stuff right they call it it's a it's a saddle joint they call it because of the way the motion that it can do but that means that because of those eight eight bones they're all joined by ligaments to cross them to make like a little spider web essentially to join them all together and hold them in place but any one of those bones moving out of position from the other one that's next to it can technically be a dislocation so you can dislocate your lunate you can dislocate your um navicular you can essentially all of them right they're all bones in there that you can move one out of position but then it can pop back in now lots of people can do that um, because they've torn like a scaphoid lunate lunate ligament and the lunate pops in and out all the time that's the most common one and there's a very simple little test that you do but you know that moves the wrist around and you can push it in and push it back out of place Um, and you know for some that's all it is for others um, you can break bones at the same time. Now, that was a question that I got that was that, you know, usually a dislocation means there's a fracture as well. Not necessarily. Yes, in some cases that's true, uh, but not necessarily. And the wrist is a good example of it being not necessarily because, like I said, you can just do that lunate ligament um, and the scaphoid lunate ligament and have this lunate pop in and out in relation to the scaphoid. Uh, 
and that is then just something that just jumps in and out, but there's no fracture associated. The dislocation, the dislocation usually refers to an injury to the joint capsule or the ligament holding that joint in place. So there you go. But in terms of Cullen, we have to wait and see what the information is for the rest of that uh, scanning um, to before we can you know make it make more information on in terms of return timeframes and what's got to go on from there. So we'll check in with Cullen hopefully here in a few days. Um, he'll have some answers and we'll, we'll bring some more information on the next round of this. All right, let's move on. Um, we're making a return this week. Now this one is one of my favorite ones because he's actually done what he should have done, what everyone should do in terms of a concussion. Uh, and taken the appropriate time and not necessarily required to be forced into it by the AMA because this one's happened in a private test track. Kevin Morans, he's making his return uh, with his Kevin Morans Racing KDM team there. Uh, he's making his return to racing this weekend after a concussion that he suffered in a whoops crash on a practice track a couple of weeks ago. He's actually sat out for, I think, it's three rounds now. Um, so Kevin's actually making a return. Very well done, Kevin. I'm going to give you a nice big round of applause. Um, for actually taking the appropriate time and not rushing back from a concussion and by not and by doing this all on your own accord and not being forced by the AMA because it happened at an event and you ended up on the protocol. Well done, Kevin. All right, one other thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is coming from some of that information. We, now, we got, we got secondhand information, um, rumors, all that sort of stuff about Cameron McAdoo in the offseason having a potential collarbone AC joint injury. Now, for anyone listening, and this is well done to Pulp MX, they were interviewing him, they asked him about his preseason, and this is obviously around a bit more around the uh, – the uh, Sakadu situation that happened at Detroit that they obviously had him on the show, but it came around that he had a bit of a delayed start to his, um, you know, well, not the perfect preseason, let's say. Now, Cameron on the show there um, brought up the fact that it wasn't just a collarbone fracture. It wasn't just an AC joint fracture. There is another injury that you can get, but it's kind of rare and it's kind of difficult to do. But it's the other end of the collarbone. It's where your collarbone meets your sternum. It's called a sternoclavicular joint. And you can, much like the AC joint, which is the acromioclavicular joint, where, you, uh, where your collarbone meets your shoulder blade, um, you can have a SC or a sternoclavicular joint sprain. And that's what he's managed to do. He pulled the, essentially tore the ligament, ripped that collarbone off the sternum, and he was out for a few weeks. Like I said, it's rare because usually it goes the the force usually ends up at the other end, but it can happen, um, and so that's thrown you know Cameron McAdoo's situation for the preseason into a bit of a bit of a delayed spin there. Uh, so he's obviously not as fit and as ready as he could be, but he looked okay winning that heat race. Um, so yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I, my ears perked up straight away when I heard that one. I'm like, well, that's that's different. That doesn't happen very often. Um, it like I said, it does happen, but just not not too too regular. It seems to be more that the collarbone will break before that will happen. So, yeah, very interesting situation there. Well done to Pulp um, for getting that information brought to light, um, and that we can have a little bit of a chat about it here and explain what that SC or sternoclavicular injury is. All right, I think I think that's going to cover us for the emergency department on this round. Uh, if we've missed anything, you'll have to check out our social pages to get that updates and you know, stay up to date with all things injury and moto. All right, let's hit into Dave's Diatribe. This is Dave's Diatribe. What's a diatribe? A 
diatribe is a forceful and bitter attack against someone or something. So keep your head down. You might be next. Is it funny that it says keep your head down at the end of this and I'm going into a concussion rage? Well, <laughs> I just heard my own introduction there for, you know, and in relation to thinking about ready, getting ready to say what I'm going to say. And I'm like, oh, that fits perfectly. We just need to keep your head down. You don't want to impact the ground first with your head because that would put you in a position to end up with a concussion. Now, my my diatribe this week, it's around these situations that seem to keep popping up and it's been fueled by what you'll hear in the interview with Matt Bell from HBI Racing uh, later in the show. We end up in a little bit of a, a discussion around concussions and around some things that he's seen. Obviously, no names and teams and whatnot, but... It's just occurring too often. This situation with Seth Hamaker that we just sort of had in the emergency department, flashback to the Cameron McAdoo one at Ad- Atlanta that time when he had the full YMCA situation going on and he, they red flagged and restarted and he restarted the race. Now, I'm not saying that they had concussions, Seth or Cameron or any of these other people that have had this situation, right? But what I want to see happen is that there is somebody, an independent person watching all of these sessions per, per race weekend, having access to whatever video that they, they can to review the crashes if they need before they make a judgment to say, hey, let's call that rider in for an assessment before their next session and then having an assessment done and clearing them to say, yes, they're okay to race the night or no, they need to sit out and go on the protocol. We can't have that situation of Seth Hamaker where – what we hear during the week sounds really shitty. Now, it might be all wrong. And if it is, I'm still not going to retract what I'm saying about the protocol, but I'll you know, be a bit more, oh, yeah, well, okay, maybe he was okay situation to go ahead. But what we hear is that he can't remember the, the crash. What we see is that he's a bit woozy when he's getting up and he's sneeing on the ground. Now, that could just be that he was winded. It could be that he hit his head. We don't know. But when we, and we see also that he's talking to the medical crew and that they've let him get on the bike and ride off. How – I don't understand how that happens, right? They're not taking the time on track to do that. Obviously, in that session, it's too rushed, right? Like they're trying to let them get back in and do another qualifying lap if they want to. But they're not taking the time at that point, which is, you know, that's a different issue altogether. We're getting off in the weeds. If we go back to the main point here. I want to see somebody go, right, he's been talked to, but let's go and just get him back in again. So let's have this internal, you know, chat system, right, for between the team managers and the AMA medical concussion guy. He sends a message in there and says, right, I need to see this rider, this rider, this rider after this session. They've all had crashes where I feel that they've had an impact that potentially hit their head. Come in and test it. If they pass, they're all good. They keep going. Now, if we want to, and this, and you'll see some of these videos, um, my man at Helltech um, with the helmet sensor that's coming out very, very soon has been putting up these videos and questioning these things. But in time, ideally, a sensor like what Helltech is going to have would be on all of these guys' helmets. They would all be um, required to be uh, returned after each session and the data downloaded, and that would con- – be cross-referenced to this independent person who watched these incidents and go, right, yep, we do need to call him in because that sensor says it was 4G crash, whatever the number is, right? Um, and then they could set a, a base, a test off that. They could then also use that data to say, right, 
It was four Gs. He needs to go on the protocol. The protocol length for a four G crash is five days minimum. Uh, it was 10 Gs. His head exploded or something, but <laughs> I can't remember what how many Gs relates to what here. And and and, and Paul at Helltech's going to be going, Dave, you sound like a dickhead. But <laughs> you get the point, right? Say it was 10 Gs. His head explodes. All right, 10 Gs means that it's a two-week minimum um, protocol period. There needs to be some improvements to this process. We can't continue to see what happened to Seth Hamaker or Cameron McAdoo be the norm, be confusing the public and the fans watching going, how does that guy race? He looked like he was dead. How can he be back on track without anyone visually confirming that he's okay? And at least then they could do a, you know, they could make this a science of supercross segment, educate people, go, right, this week, Science of Supercross, we're talking about concussions and this is our protocol. And you all know now that if we have anyone that hits our head on the ground, we are doing a process to check them and they, we, we have cleared them to be back on track every single time so you know that they're safe. That would be a great thing. The other part of this is that obviously if they're not going to improve this process, if they're going to continue to stick with this um, KMA concussion protocol that they have at this stage in its current format, they're going to continue to have things like this and we're going to have this speculation and it's going to decrease the value of our sport. All other sports, and I say all, but you know, the majority of those major sports, you're talking your, your crickets in Australia, your NRLs, your AFLs in Australia – your NFLs in America, your baseballs, they all have concussion protocols where the person is removed. Now, yes, team sports are different and they can remove them mid-play and substitute another player, which is why I didn't want to do, which is why I haven't suggested it being done mid-race. But once that session or that race is done, they need to go in and have it happen straight away within a window of you know 15 to 30 minutes, say, so that they can be assessed on that concussion but all of those have these minimum stand down periods um, 10 days 14 days they all have a minimum sort of thing where they're missing one week that they're stood down from um, activities to ensure that their recovery is occurring correctly and they have all these steps now the AMA has that but they have to put them on the protocol for them to be forced to do it this is where that interperson person would come in to actually make that protocol be put in place more often they would also be the one that's following them up to make sure that the process has been done correctly and gaining all that stuff in. Now, we don't know how well that is done because um, we can't get that information at this point, but it's something that I'm trying to check into further. Maybe that sort of process is happening, but we've got to get more people being reviewed on it um, and being more open with it so that the teams aren't trying to hide this information. We also don't want them to have not be improving this protocol and having teams or riders later in life going, hey, I've got all these brain symptoms from all those concussions that I hid. I'm going to sue them because they didn't um, have a process in place that meant that I was had to be reviewed. Let's protect our riders. Let's protect our teams and our officials and our felds and our AMAs. Let's improve this process together. Make it so that it's an acceptable thing to say, hey, I had a bump on my head. Can you check me out? Here's my sensor. Check me. If I'm all good, sweet. I just want your input on it. Let's let's get to that point where this is a bit more of an open discussion and not a hidden topic in the background. AMA concussion protocols need to improve. All right, that's Dave's diatribe for this week. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to jump straight into our interviews. We're going to have Matt Bell from HBI Racing. We're going to follow that up with Grant Harlan from the Gizmo Mods Rock River Yamaha. Uh, and we'll be back with more Always Moto podcasts. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. It's the Lee at Moto Australia Presented podcast. That's right. 
All right. Thank you. Oh, we're quickly going to cut back into this thing before we hit the break. Obviously, I say this to you, people, to you guys all and girls all the time when we're recording this thing. I don't always record these in order and I've actually got a late minute info that's come through on a couple of things here. Um, managed to get in touch with Chance Hymas and he hasn't confirmed or denied anything at this point, but he is getting a lot of therapy done. So we'll have to watch this space. Um, not sounding fantastic from his tone at that point when he was talking talking with us, but uh, we're going to hopefully check in with him further in a when he's able, basically, he said. So uh, keep an eye on that. And there's also an update from um, Brock Pappy. Brock actually missed most of the East Coast opener. He did do the opening um, practice session, managed to collide with another rider and uh, have an impact to his hand. Swelled up pretty bad and managed to keep him off the bike for the rest of the Detroit um, qualifying sessions and obviously then obviously didn't do the evening section of the show, or the, sorry, the day section of the show. But he is A-OK. Should be fine by the time we get back around for the next East Coast round. So, yeah, caught that update as well for Brock Pappy. Um, so now we'll take the break on the Always Moto podcast. What's up, guys? Justin Rodbell here. We're listening to the Always Moto podcast. All right, guys and girls, joining us this week on the Always Moto podcast, brought to you by Lee at Moto Australia. He's the team manager for the HBI Racing Kawasaki team. We've got Matt Bell on the line. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks, David. I appreciate you having me on. It's exciting. Yeah, no, I appreciate you making some time for us. We've been chatting about this for a little while. Obviously, we checked in a few weeks back now, I think it was, for with um, with Ty Masterpool's unfortunate not being able to start the season from injury, and we got ch- chatting, and yeah, I thought it'd be a good, good chance to sort of check in with a, a different point in the sport. You know, we're always sort of with the riders, um, occasionally the mechanic or something, but yeah, team manager was a, a different one for us here, so I thought we'd, we'd get you on and, and, and hear a little bit about the story and about the team that's awesome yeah happy to try to give as much information as i can we're always one of those teams that wants to try to put as much information out there for the community because i think there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff that people don't really see or know about and this this gives them more a little bit more insight into the sport i think it does it, obviously all those storylines are, are interesting especially for the, the you know the the diehard fans they want to know as much as they can about it and you know some of those smaller teams and i'm not saying you're a small team but you know those ones that are, are the fringe they're not the the monster energy kawasaki's or the red bull ktms those smaller teams you might not necessarily know as much about or hear as often from and some of you might not even know that they exist as such, unfortunately. So yeah, it's nice to get some of those those stories out and about in in the uh, in the motor media, and you know, get people interested in in your team. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're just starting out. This is our first Supercross season, so it's you know, any publicity is good for us just to get the word out and let people know what we're about. Yeah, definitely. So so this is the first Supercross season. So last year being outdoors, that was. The beginning of HBI racing was it? It was. So we we did kind of we were the title sponsor for a team called Future MX last Supercross season. Uh, we weren't doing anything as far as management of that, just really providing some monetary support. But yeah, this is the outdoor season was our first kind of push by ourselves into pro motocross, and then this is our first push into pro Supercross. Yeah, right. So what was there a reason that you wanted to jump in and, and be a, a team manager or a team owner? 
Um, I just like to build things. So <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> I think uh, it's interesting to me and it's a lot of fun to really be able to build something from scratch. I've done that with my, my business, which is HVI tax where I'm a, I'm an accountant actually. That's, that's what I do for, for money yep. uh, and, and fun when, during the week. And that's what supports really the majority of what we do for this team. But I built that kind of from scratch and I've always enjoyed motocross. I uh, was never good enough to make it pro, but it was just neat to be able to help these young men kind of come up through the ranks and give them some support that and a and chance that they may not have without us. And so, you know, that's, that's the reason why we started this, not just for the motocross piece, but just in life in general, you know, these guys coming up don't really, and you, you don't think about the fact they're 17 or 18. And, you know, when we were both there, we had no idea what to do and neither do they. So we kind of helped them navigate life and the motocross track too. Yeah, that's nice. You're sort of being a bit more supportive than just providing a ride by the sounds of it. It's a bit more of a family orientated aspect in, in all that to, to help them grow. Yep, that's exactly right. That's what we do. Now, if you if you guys kicked off last year as that first major season, you guys obviously made a bit of a splash. You jumped to prominence pretty quickly there with, with Ty Masterpool and in, in his results in that 450 class. Um, was that a, a good thing, a bad thing for planning for, you know, the following season? And, and you know, how, how did that all I, – I gather it was probably awesome to be a part of that to begin with and, and get some, you know, reasonable success and acknowledgement. But sometimes that can come with a headache too. It can. I, I think it was – you know, there's positives and negatives of that. The the positive part of it is that you your name gets out there really, really quickly, which is awesome. You know, nobody knew who we were going to, into the outdoor season. And then three races in, we pick up Ty Masterpool, who's kind of the, the name that everybody's talking about. So that was pretty amazing to to kind of come to prominence pretty quickly. Um, the The negative side of that is that the expectations – as a team go up really quickly. So, you know, the better riders you have, the more they expect from a team. And I mean, granted, I can understand that they, they want to have a really solid program. And to be fair, we were just starting out. So we were still trying to find our feet <laughs> underneath us on what type of program we were going to have. And that was tricky. Um, even bringing in riders like Caden Braswell. I mean, uh, he, he was, he came from, you know, Troy Lee designs Red Bull gas gas. He came from a factory mm -hmm. team, even though it was a fill-in ride. So, you know, you're bringing a guy who's come from a factory team into a program just starting out. Uh, that's very tricky because we just didn't have everything we needed in place to be able to support him. I think probably the way he expected and the way we wanted to support him, but we've, we've grown into that this season in Supercross, and I'm, I, th I think it's pushed us to be better very quickly. Yeah, that's what a uh, like one. That's it's amazing that you sort of got those those riders to begin with, and and you know everything went swimmingly sort of thing. But it is sort of that that reason I sort of brought in. Like sometimes it would be a bad thing is because obviously, like you said, the, the the infrastructure might not have been there behind what you just started, and you know maybe you weren't expecting to get a rider of that level and take a year or two to sort of work your way to that. So you can sort of end up in a point where there's not what 
you know, it's a bit of smoke and mirrors on the outside, but on the inside, there's like, well, what do we got to do here? We don't have that. You know, we don't have that person to go and do that testing or, or the ability to make that change for, for you, you know, despite the fact that you want it or, and you could get it from the past team, you know, that, that becomes a little bit of a headache yeah. situation. But the guys have obviously seen what you've been able to do because they're both on board again this year. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're super happy with the fact that we've been able to keep them on board. And, you know, I, it, it took a, a lot of patience, I think, on their side as we worked through some things, but I think they could see that we were really trying to get things right. I mean, when Caden Braswell came on board, we didn't even have an engine package and that was three weeks before he was racing for us. Yeah. Right. So uh, we had a couple of 450 guys, but really not a great engine package for a 250, especially for a guy of his size. I mean, we had Hardy Munoz and Cole Bradford on the team. They were not quite as big as Caden. I mean, Caden was pushing 180 or 190 pounds. So yeah. you need to have a really strong engine package to pull a guy like that. And we just didn't have it, but they, we, we worked together and got him something that was, I think, adequate, um, allowed him to get into super motocross and, you know, did pretty well. So thankful for their support of the team and willing to come back on board this year yeah and not only have they come back on but you seem to have got a few more guys to go um, guys here you've you mentioned a couple of them there in terms of um cole bradford um caden oh, caden braswell obviously with time muscle but um slade varola um aiden shive you said you've added as well just before we'll, we hit record here so the team's quite yeah. large at this point it, it must be a lot to juggle for you yeah, it is. It, it becomes trickier the more riders you add on board, just the logistics of uh, something that I didn't really um, appreciate was the, I think the travel logistics of getting everybody where they need to go, um, not just the riders, but the mechanics and making sure the truck is there and the bikes. I mean, uh, and I do that myself right now. I'm the guy that books the travel for these folks. So uh, pretty pretty interesting uh dynamic there but yeah we've been thankful to add on some really good riders um hardy munoz is another one who i have we have pretty high expectations for this supercross season uh slade's been phenomenal uh caden braswell got injured uh you know we'll probably talk about that in a little bit but uh slade was an awesome surprise to bring on board and how well he's done uh he wasn't even planning on racing supercross this year he was going to do some arena crossing supercross futures and uh decided to give us a shot and he's really outperformed what we thought he was going to do yeah that's really cool i didn't even i saw that that post from the team earlier you know um, in the season that he was coming on and sort of didn't recognize the name and yeah he's he's done reasonably well for you guys straight away which is you know credit to, to you guys in the package you could perform you know hand to him to to get those results on too so that's a really awesome thing but you mentioned there about the the travel aspects you you've gone from probably taking worrying about yourself and and one other person maybe to go to watch an event to what 10 20 people you're trying to organize flights cars you know truck arrangements it's it's got to be a lot of time that's taking out of your your week to week it really is this last this first race at detroit you know it was our first east coast round and we had people getting had one of our mechanics that needed to get there on monday one two of them that needed to get there on wednesday <laughs> uh, a team manager that was going to get there on friday we were coming on thursday so you're trying to book hotels flights rental cars yeah it was just kind of a nightmare this time but um 
we made it happen. Everybody got there. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was an interesting struggle, but we made it through and, you know, kicked off the season. So, so do those, so do those things like obviously that time that you're putting in there and, you know, you got five different arrival points or something along those lines. Um, does that, is that fun for you to do? Is it giving you gray hairs? You know, is, is that just, you know, par for the course because that's what you're trying to do in the big scheme of the thing? Um, honestly, I hate the travel arrangement part of it. <laughs> Looking I, for someone I hate putting it. out an ad for that one, are you shortly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need to get somebody to handle that. But right now it's just, I, I do it myself because I'm trying to really keep the budget as kind of sure. fine as I can. Yep. Um, but yeah, I hate the travel arrangement piece. I wish I didn't have to do that, but the other, the other parts of the program are fun, you know, building the engine package that we have this year for Supercross um, has been fun to put together. We, we had some struggles, but I believe that, you know, it's kind of like building a, a model car or a model motorcycle in a way, you know, it's, you, know, you you play those games where you get to pick the parts and put on your mm. vehicle on a on a video game. This is kind of like that, but in real life. So, you know, I get to pick whether I'm going to spend money on titanium bolts or am I going to put more money into the engine package or what kind of suspension. That's really fun for me. And I think the proudest thing of what we've done this year is the engine package we have because I, I believe we have an engine package that can compete with any factory team. A hundred percent. Well, that's that's really impressive from from your side, especially. It'd be a proud moment to this, know that you put all that together too. Like in terms of selecting the the different components to go into that, and I gather it hasn't had any you know any failure issues either. So that's probably another proud part of it as well. Yeah, it has. It was pretty incredible. We've worked with a company called Williams Performance. Um, they're they're down in Florida and. Uh, you know, Chris Williams just kind of guided us through the, the entire process of what he thought would work within our budget. And then we brought um, a, a, uh, a tuner named Matteo uh, from from Italy over to do, do the tuning of the Vortex ECUs to get the bikes running perfectly. And uh, to be honest with you, we're putting out, I think, factory level horsepower on an engine that will go 30 hours on the top end, which is incredible. <laughs> that's kind of good from um, the budget side of things too, but if you've got that longevity in the motor too, so that's that's impressive. It is, and you know it, what really showed us that we had something special was honestly the the last race that uh, Slade was at. I mean, you know he's he's still working on his speed, but he had to go to the LCQ. Um, at this past race in Anaheim too. And he pulled the whole shot and the last chance qualifier was like five bike lengths ahead by the first corner and then came out into the mains and was fourth into the first corner, the first moto in the triple crown. He was second into the first corner in the second moto. So, yeah. I mean, this is pulling factory bikes and I think it's just, it just showed us that the hard work we had put in really was paying off. And, and uh, he's been patient. You know, he was, he's been kind of a test dummy for us because he was the first guy on the motor. Yep. But, um, he's been incredible. Been a big help in getting that fine-tuned for us. Yeah, that's that's a pretty impressive thing for a team like yours to be 
that far into the front of the first corners, you know, in a 250 class because, yeah, it is all about the horsepower down there and how many dollars you've spent into that motor usually. Um, so obviously you've done yeah. something right there to get it to work in that manner because that's, yeah, that's impressive results in that, that, that horsepower aspect of the race. So, yeah, well done. But that, I gather that's then obviously like, you know, the 2024, we're going to ask about how, how it's gone so far. That sounds like it's going well. Probably the downside of things is that you're just missing a couple of guys, really. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the season started off well. It's been it's been disappointing that we didn't have you know a couple of our top guys starting out with Ty Masterpool and Caden Braswell. It's been frustrating from an injury standpoint, um, not only for us but for them. You know, as a rider, that's just, mentally it can be very taxing. So we're trying to work with them and get them back as quickly as possible. In fact, Ty was, in fact, when we started off, Ty was beeping in, uh, I think from an update uh, from his PT. So I didn't quite get that yet oh, okay. we got on the podcast, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, they check in with me pretty often and we're working with them to get them back on the bike as quickly as we can. Yeah. Well, obviously that's the, that's the aim, isn't it? But yeah, it's just a bit, bit frustrating that it, you know, timing, they, they miss those opening rounds, but they'll be back you know, really shortly. But I guess from your side as the team manager, like when that call comes in, somebody's got injured or maybe, you know, you've they've had the injury for a little while and they need to go and have a surgery or something like that. Like how does that side of things sit with you? Like how does that affect you when you take that call and you're like, oh, you know, they're injured or, oh, they're going to go for surgery. What's that – how does that affect your plans and, and, you know, maybe what you've said to sponsors about who's going to be at events and stuff like that? Like, does that all come into it for you and is that a massive headache? Um, I, I think it's – you know, it's obviously disappointing, but we want to try to be as upfront as we can with sponsors. So what we've tried to do when we had, you know, Ty out and then Caden Brazel was going to be out, um, obviously sponsors – bring their support on board based on who you have and mm. what the expectations are. So we try to communicate with the sponsors. Uh, you know, I canvas is one of the big sponsors that's come on board this year. Uh, been very, very upfront with, with Michael Lieb about where Ty is and his recovery and where Caden Braswell is. And I think, you know, these guys are appreciative of us as, as a team and myself as a team manager, letting them know where our riders are. And then, trying to bring on another rider to replace them. So that was the, the goal with bringing Slade and Rolla in, to be honest with you, is to have a West Coast rider. Mm. Caden Brazel was going to be our West Coast guy along with Ty. Well, if we hadn't brought Slade in, uh, we wouldn't have had anybody out yeah. on the West Coast. Yeah. So we thought, hey, you know, we'll give this kid a shot. And uh, he's just, it's been great. I mean, he's been in two main events so far out of, more races that he's done in his rookie season and is getting some exposure for the team and for the sponsors. So it's worked out well, but it is stressful because you don't, you don't ever want to over promise a sponsor and then under deliver because, you know, next season they may not come on board. So that is tricky. Yeah. That's a, that's the fine line you walk with that sponsorship side of things, isn't it? And, you know, they, they obviously probably came to you in some part based on what Ty did in the outdoors there um, and even the super motocross rounds where, you know, he still featured quite well despite even riding through, what was it, the, the appendix issue that he had at that point too. So, um, yeah, they probably yeah. have come on board to 
as partly on that and then for him not to be there to begin with, yeah, there's probably difficult times you're you know, having to call them and, and chat to them about where, where that's all up to, which probably isn't a fun phone call to make, I guess. It's not. It, it's not, especially when, you know, Ty is obviously he's our kind of future writer. Um, he's the guy that we use to, to bring sponsorship on board. So it's been tricky. Uh, one of our goals this season was to sell individual race sponsorships. And of course, Ty was a big selling point for those. Mm. And that's been difficult because we don't really know. We haven't known in the past exactly what race is going to be back. So, you know, you don't want to go out and take people, someone's money for an individual race sponsorship, expecting Ty to be there. And then he's not there. Yeah. So that's been tricky, but we're, we're trying to navigate through that as we go along. Yeah, that would be a difficult situation. That is one of the things that um, a lot of these privateer guys have sort of gone to, that race-by-race, race, you know, um, sponsorship deals. And, yeah, for, for you guys to do that, it would be hard to have that not come out the way it should do in terms of the, the rider that you they wanted to be a part of it, not being there. That would be a difficult thing. But one thing that I have noticed that you guys, and I don't know whether it was maybe your influence, Matt, on the guys, but – um, Ty and Caden both at the beginning of the season put out some nice updates about where they're up to you know and like you said before being up front about the the injury and the situation and I don't know whether like I said you had an influence over that but I sort of I, I like that because there seems to be so much from the injury side that gets hidden in our sport and I don't completely understand why because it is just part of sports not just even our sport it's part of sports that you know an injury occurs somebody's got to miss a week or two it's it's just the nature of a competitive athlete um but those both the guys did that really well at the beginning of the season to keep obviously the fans and the sponsors up to date yeah we we pushed both ty and caden uh kind of down that road to do that you know i think it's the tendency for a rider is when you get injured, <clears throat> you're not on the track. So you kind of get off social media. Mm. And I don't think, I don't think that's a good thing. People still want to know how you're doing. I mean, they, they care about you as a person, not just a dirt bike rider. So I really encourage both of those guys to stay on social media, give kind of regular updates about how they're doing. Um, you know, that sometimes took a phone call from me to say, hey, guys, just a reminder, you need to get on there and <laughs> chop, let chop, your fans know how it, you're yeah. doing. But I, I don't I don't really understand what why in this industry, um, especially people try to hide what's happened. I mean, to be honest with you, it gets out anyway. So why 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 hide it? I mean, it's kind of like with Deegan and the scaphoid injury. I mean, everybody knew he had it. There was no announcement. But it was all over social media. People knew there had been an injury at some point. Yeah, that one particularly is a bit of a funny situation because he, you know, then that uh, the press conference for the start of it before last week, where he's saying it was a sprain and all that. Everybody heard information that was contrary to that well before that point. So. I, I don't know why. And then the other part of it is too, like you said, it, it'll come out eventually. At some point, probably in a week or two at a race, you'll be in a, you know, a, a press conference, a post-race interview, whatever. And he'll, he'll just say that, oh yeah, I had a broken wrist. And you're like, well, why didn't you just say that when it happened? Like, why are we <laughs> waiting to this point now? And it's just randomly come out. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Obviously, there's a, one that sort of does, and it's because of that little stigma around the concussion side of things and the protocol that's in place. But yeah. again, even that shouldn't be 
that way they should be you know open with the fact that they've been you know advised medically and they're taking that right path to to you know recover correctly and do the protocol step by step so that they don't have any future issues they should be promoting that so that the kids see that that's what you should do in in that scenario too and and but it just doesn't seem to happen that way for whatever reason yeah i think i think that some of the teams are they try to hide the concussion piece of it because honestly they're trying to push the riders to get back out there um i mean i know of an instance i won't say which race it was but it was over the past five where i know there was a rider that had a severe enough concussion that he did not know where he was at Mm. and the team put him back out on the track um i think it's ridiculous i mean you know our our rider aiden shive had a pretty nasty get off um i think it was in practice it was, i can't remember if it was practice or first qualifying session this last mm. race but he ended up uh just coming up short on the triple threw him over the bars hit his head pretty hard um you know we our team manager you know went down there talked to him you know asked him questions we went and had him checked out by the alpine stars rig because we do not want to put a rider back out on the track and have them risk getting injured worse, especially with a brain injury. I mean, it's just, it's not worth it. You know, we care about the riders and want to make sure they're good to go and not just shove them back out on the track. Yeah, that's that's a very, you know, um, good viewpoint from you guys. You've done the right things there in terms of you took that ownership and you went and, you know, saw the medical crew to make sure you were thinking the right things and not just made your own decisions and, that's a really commendable thing that you've done there. But obviously, like you said, others maybe not doing similar. Um, and for whatever reason, they might be higher teams that are chasing a result or something, but it still shouldn't be at the, the risk of health long-term for their for their rider because obviously that race is just one, one point in time. Now, I'm going to go off on a little side tangent here because this is something that I've brought up on the shows in the past and maybe get your opinion of it. But like my background as a physical therapist um, sort of with these testings and stuff and seeing other sports that do these concussion tests and they have that independent, you know, sideline person watching the activities and then they'll call them in for an assessment. Would you be open if somebody like that in the AMA, in Supercross, Motocross, you know, that they had somebody there that was watching the practice sessions and they see somebody hit their head, they review some footage and go, yep, we just need to check that person, call them in. They're not necessarily pulling them out of the race, but after that session, they're just calling them over the truck. They've got, you know, your team manager or something gets a text, says you've got to be here in 20 minutes to do the assessment. Um, and we just cl- check them that they're clear still. You know, would you be against that do you think that would be accepted by the by the other teams if that was brought in as a just a safety measure for everybody i don't know if it would be accepted by the other teams i can tell you that we would encourage it i just i don't think there's ever um a time where it's worth risking a traumatic brain injury and making it worse no. by not checking somebody out yeah, definitely. And that's I, sort of I mean, where I'm coming at from we, that side of things. It's just that, d- just that double check. You're taking it, the onus off the rider and off the team and getting that independent medical person just to go, yep, you are, you are cleared to go back out. You know, like it's not a decision that you're trying to force somebody who doesn't have the, the insight and the background and the experience with it to make. Yeah. I mean, they do have a, you know, the impact concussion test that they require the riders to make, to take at the beginning of the season. Um, if you're knocked out on the track and you go to the Alpine stars rig because of a concussion, 
they will make you take the impact concussion yes. test again yep. against the baseline. But if you decide not to go to the rig, I don't think there's really any requirement that you retake that before you go race again. So that is the tricky part. Yeah, that's the part that sort of is the missing step there that I've sort of identified from the protocol and how it works. Because, yeah, if they do get attended to on the track, um, obviously they go straight into the, the, the Alpine Stars rig and they do the assessments. But if they, they, they get up and they manage to ride their bike off, you know, before anyone gets to them, well, then they sort of get missed in that checking step. You know, they sort of then end up back at their, their own truck, their own tent. And, oh, yeah, I'm like, I think I'm okay. And, you know, nobody knows any difference. And they end up back out there again at, at that in greater increased risk of a secondary in, incident. So, yeah, it's just something I think there's a little missing, missing step in the, in the process that could be improved at some point. But we've gone down a rabbit hole there. I've taken you off, off track. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> oh, that's okay. No problem. No, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I think that's important to talk about. Yeah, it's just something I've been, you know, passionate about and just concerned about as well. So it's something I, I, I bring up a, a time to time when it sort of gets led down that path. But on on back on the your guys, obviously we mentioned Ty and Cade and both having those injuries. Have you got any updates? Obviously you mentioned Ty's probably tried to ring you while we're doing this, but um, is there how are they both going with with their different injuries and and getting back to fitness and back to bike? bike time yeah so i guess i'll start with caden braswell um spoke with him before this past weekend he called to you know, wish the guys good luck and uh, at the race and he's doing well you know he had acl um repair uh, on on a knee that he had had an injury before and so his recovery is going well i think he feels within the next probably 90 days um he'll be back on the bike we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes depending on you know what his doctors say but he's he's definitely looking to get on as quickly as he can um so thankful for that he said he's going to physical therapy pretty often mm. and then uh as far as ty um you know he started out the season came off the outdoor season with some with some ankle i guess overuse injuries and I don't think I was aware of how bad it was bothering him during outdoors, but then he came into supercross and of course, you know, the impact on the ankles is even higher and it just really aggravated it and, um, went to some doctors originally, they told him you need to have surgery. Um, he, it's just the, the, the shape of his foot. I think he's got some, some issues where his foot, his arch may not be quite right. Um, maybe a little bit flat footed and, and so that was causing some issues with the joints and was able to go get some treatment that didn't involve surgery. So that's helped. But then uh, a couple of weeks ago, he ended up uh, straining his calf, um, probably a small tear in the calf muscle just from landing wrong. I think, you know, he was taking a lot of antibiotics, pretty powerful antibiotics during the um, appendicitis issue. And some of those antibiotics, and I, I don't know which ones he was on, but I, I think there are some like Cipro that can cause issues where it, it causes your ligaments and, mm-hmm. and tendons to actually be able to tear easier. Yeah, yeah and it so, weakens everything, unfortunately, and even just your general yeah, immune so, system. It's, it's getting smashed with all this stuff. It, it's, the body's working harder in other areas, so things get uh, left behind. <laughs> yep, that's right. So... You know, unfortunately, he's a little bit of a strain there. Um, but it doesn't look like he will be at Glendale. 
States. We've got a couple weeks off, you know, coming into the next race in Arlington, which we're hoping is going to give him enough time to recover and be ready to get out there. But it's it's really week by week with Ty. Um, I'm, I'm, he's calling me pretty much after every physio session and, and every training session, letting me know how he's doing. And he's you know saying as soon as he could possibly be out there, he'll be out there. But, um, you know, we're hopeful. We're hopeful at Arlington at this point. Yeah, well, that's – look, that's still – good there's still plenty of time left in that supercross season for him to get out and get make an impact in that side of things it's it's really nice to hear that he's that can like concerned to be contacting you to let you know on you know each update after each session that's there's obviously a nice connection there between the two of you that he's you know wanting to wanting you to be a part of that process with him so that's you know kind of positive from my side of things to see that he's he's keeping you in the loop we try to have that connection with all of our writers to where, you know, there's a business side of things, but there's also the friendship side of things. And we want them to be able to communicate those things with us and be open because it helps us to know how to communicate to sponsors and to the media. So they, so they're aware of what's going on. So it's been great with time. We, we appreciate him being open and, and being, being communicative with us as well. Yeah, it's no, it's a wonderful thing that it, that is actually happening that way. Like you said, that you, you guys are operating in a bit of a different manner, which is fantastic. And the openness is, you know, I'm sure the the fans and the sponsors are very appreciative of the fact that you guys are providing that information because it's it's fantastic from our side of things to see it. So, look, hopefully this uh, journey that you're on with the HBI Racing Kawasaki team continues and you can get those both Ty and Caden back and you can obviously keep everybody else healthy and have that massive team that you've put together here for the second year round um, you know out on track and doing wonderful things yeah we're, we're really looking forward to uh, just continuing to build on the positivity of the first rounds uh, on west coast and this first east coast round and see where we can take it I think we're I think we're turning a lot of heads and I think like you said, people are appreciating the way that we're running things and we're doing things a little different than maybe other teams have in the past. And we hope that will, will allow us to continue to grow it and to be able to help more riders to have a better program. Yeah, look, I'm sure it will. And I'm sure the, the further this goes for you, it'll just continue to build and you'll get more attention. So no, look, appreciate you making some time for us too, as well to be here on the always moto podcast brought to you by Lee at moto Australia. And, uh, Hopefully we see some uh, more strong results out of the team, Matt. Yeah, sounds good, David. That's what we're hoping for, and we're, uh, I think we're ready to do it. So on to the next round this weekend at Glendale. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, Matt, thanks for your time. All right, thanks, David. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is Derek Kelly, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, another interview this week on the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Lee at Moto Australia. He's been out of action since the end of last season at Motocross of Nations. He's got a new number in 2024. It's the number 23 riding the Rock River Gizmo Mods Yamaha. It's Grant Harlan. How are we doing, Grant? Oh, we're doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thought I needed to check in with you and see how things have been going. It's been a little while now since that injury back at Motocross of Nations with the pelvic fracture and just wanted to see where you're up to, mate. How's the recovery? How's the riding? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's going. I mean, it's going. Um, Spent about three months off the bike and then, 
you know, trying to ease back into it. It's been tough, you know, kind of lost, lost all the fitness, strength and everything in my legs. So, um, it's been a little difficult getting back up to, um, maybe not up to speed as much as the physical fitness part of it. Um, cause I was non weight bearing for the three months. So, um, like I said, I lost a lot of strength in my legs. So we're just right now we're working on building all that back. That's a, that's the biggest part of all this that I don't think people will really understand is that that non weight bearing aspect, the fact that your legs normally, you're obviously carrying yourself around all day, every day doing activity on them to not do anything. They shrink essentially, don't they? In terms of the muscles and, and, nothing's happening there so those even just walking when you're allowed to then start weight bearing is quite a task for you at that point yeah i think i've really only now just gotten rid of like the little hitch or i guess limp in my step over the last month or so so um and obviously hips are a very important part of what we do in in our training so um yeah it's it's been tough Mm. so how's the uh the wheels on the little scooter or whatever that you were rolling around on as the load bearing object is it did they get worn flat or did you not use it too much and just sat on the couch in that couple of months um i had crutches that i that i used for the most part yeah um but i i mean i try not to be up too much um when i didn't need to but i mean for the most part i got around okay you know, just, just, try, just, you know, getting in and out of the car and, you know, showering and all that kind of stuff was, was a bit of a pain. But other than that, like, it wasn't horrible. Yeah. Well, just describe horrible for, for yourself because that, for some people, that could be the horrible part that what you went through. So it's obviously all perspective. You've probably had other injuries that maybe were, were worse or more painful or more limiting in some aspect. But yeah, it's still a, not a fantastic situation that you ended up in. No, no. I mean, considering the crash that I did have and, and everything like that, like, I feel like the injury wasn't too bad. You know, it could have been worse and there could have been more. So, um, just, just the pelvic fracture, no surgery or anything like that. Like, I feel like I got pretty lucky, so I can't complain too much. No, yeah, I think you did all right in a bad scenario. And and on that, like the those initial parts, like you've obviously been out, like you said, three months of non-weight bearing in there. Um, how's the mentality in that time? Was there any sort of questioning of yourself of why did you go to France to do that race or, or anything like that? Or was it all just, oh, yeah, we'll get over this and we'll, we'll get back to it soon? Um, Not really. Uh, like the reason I went over there is, you know, there's not many opportunities in this, in this sport to go race for one, them motocross of nations and two, you know, in another country. So, um, when the opportunity presented itself to go to probably the most insane mm. motocross of nations, um, venue we have on top of, you know, getting the travel again, I was like, sweet, we'll do it. You know? Um, so I never really questioned that part of it, but, um, it is something, it is unfortunate that the injury was, you know, kind of completely out of my control. I mean, you can always say better start this or that, but you know, for the most part, there was not much I could have done. So, um, I've tried not to, to question it too much. 
Yeah, I always find it funny when people say that it's, you know, you, you had control of it, you could have got a better start. Well, racing's racing. So much can go on. The fact that, you know, you come over a jump and all of a sudden there's somebody in the way, that's the part that you have no control over, you know. So, yeah, I don't always buy into the fact that, oh, you just get a better start, you miss the carnage. That's sort of – there's carnage and sort of stuff everywhere and you're not always – it's probably impossible to always get a whole shot. So, yeah, I don't buy into that theory. <laughs> Yeah, like getting a whole shot on those guys on a gate I've never seen before and everything like that. Like, I feel like my start was pretty decent. Um, it was just, dude, it was so muddy. Like, it was almost inevitable something like that was going to happen. Yeah, was that just from the overwatering at that point of the day? Or was that from the, I can't remember, was there weather at that point before the event? I, I'm just drawing a blank on what the prep was before that point. No, it was it was dry. They just they just flooded the track, which yeah. I don't I'm not too sure if that's, you know, something that's typical or not, but I think when we did the side lap, every rut on the track had like standing water to the top of it in it. Oh, great. Yep. And that section of the track was like off camber downhill into a jump. So um yeah, yeah, caused a lot of chaos. Asking for trouble at that point, wasn't it? So, yeah, but look, we're on the yeah, other nope. side of it now, so that's the main part of it. Now, how is the day today? Are we back on a normal schedule for training, riding at this point in time? Yeah, yep, back to normal. Um, you know, cycling, strength work, riding, um, basically as much as I can handle. Like I said, the fitness is still coming back, so... Um, I wouldn't say we're like able to do like the full load like most of these guys are, but um, you know I still get the the six days five to five six days a week in, you know like usual, just maybe not as heavy or as many reps. As in the the weights on like the you know the squats or something like that, and and is that is there anything yeah. you're avoiding ex- exercise wise because of the injury or just that you don't have the strength for at the moment? Yeah, I'm not avoiding anything. Just just. I guess like the mobility with the strength, like, you know, like you said, squats, the, the depth that I can get to with the strength that I have, um, is quite all the way there. But I will say like, uh, honestly, riding is easier than, than (laughs) doing that. So, um, yeah, I don't really have any issues there. Yeah, it's amazing how sometimes the the hardest aspect of the week is that simple, so-called simple gym time where you've you know got to go in and just lift something from A to B at a certain angle because, yeah, you'd think that throwing around a, you know, I'm going to say it in kilos because I don't know what it is in, in, um, in pounds, but a hundred, hundred or so kilo motorcycle around a track in, in the air and whatnot seems easy after that. Yeah, it does. Um, and even like when I first started riding, like right when I got released, um, and you know, the, the strength was kind of at its weakest point. Like, like I said, I just pretty much got over like the, the limp or, um, hitch in my step. But when I would ride, like I wouldn't feel it. And then I'd get off the bike and I'd limp back to the, uh, <laughs> back to the van. So like, this doesn't make um, any sense. Why am I limping now? Yeah. Yeah. But I think like the riding, the riding has helped a lot with the uh, with the recovery. You know, since we are using our legs so much, you know, it's kind of unavoidable, and you don't really feel the the weakness as much. 
No, but the, also the just the mentality, the fact that you you are capable of doing that at that point is then telling you that you're probably capable of doing other parts in you know in the next phase of the training. So, yeah, the the positivity of being on the bike is probably just helping all round, not just the actual like you said the incidental exercise from having to go from a seated position in the corner to a standard position to hit the next jump. Yeah, I'm sure it is. So what's the plans then, Grant? Obviously, this is a bit, bit of a work in progress. You've been on – how long have we been on the bike? Is it a month yet? Um, Just around a month, give or take. Yeah. Um, and then last week was my first week on Supercross. So um, Did- right this minute, we're kind of shooting for Dallas since it's the home race. And um, in my head, it makes the most sense to – to go there with you know around four weeks on the bike you know if it doesn't go well or i'm not feeling ready you know i'm not spending you know thousands of dollars to go to a race to not be ready you know i can drive my hour there ride and like i said if i'm not feeling it then you know i can just you know pack it up for the weekend yeah yeah makes makes a lot of sense on that side of things convenient that that's sort of around the right point where you're almost ready to go anyway so that's sort of worked out nicely on a scheduling yeah, yeah. Um, I, my original plan was thinking maybe Phoenix and then, you know, being able to figure stuff out on the week off, but um, just just didn't quite get ready in time. And um, the two to three extra weeks on the bike are definitely going to help. Is it? Has there been anything that you've had to change on the bike, like testing-wise? You, you know, it, I'm assuming things are similar from last year's bike to this year's bike, but, like, has the – has the riding style changed and then changed the setting or you just basically still got the same thing and you in that aspect is actually helping you along? So end of Supercross last year in Nashville when I um, first got on the the new frame, mm. um, I just threw on the, the 22 frames suspension and kind of dealt with it, yep. even though it wasn't the best. But like the whoops were pretty easy at the last – three races and um you know you kind of deal with the rhythm sections and the turns are the turns so um i kind of just managed my way through that and then obviously the smx stuff was kind of strange but never really like messed with the bike too much but now that i'm back you know at home trying to you know get back into shape and everything Mm -hmm. and starting to ride supercross like i'm finding all the all the stuff that you know I didn't get to figure out last year and didn't get to figure out in an off season this year, which, you know, so you asked about like the testing and changes. Like I'd never, I've never tested for supercross on this, this chassis. So, oh. um, yeah, so we're, we're currently working on that, trying to, trying to find some new stuff and, um, see what works. Yeah. I- While also trying to get faster and all that. So that, that's going to be, <laughs> pretty difficult i feel so there's probably still a point where like in another say three four races of actually being at track and racing you probably go yeah i've gotten stronger i've gotten faster this isn't good anymore i've got to upgrade it again almost i'm assuming that'll be the next problem you'll run into once you you get a couple of races under your belt yeah um i'm sure it is but i'm hoping like when we do go to Dallas that, you know, we're, we're good enough that we can, you know, try and go racing and at least get a feel for, for the bike on the racetrack. And, um, being that it's in Texas, my suspension guys here as well, you know, I think we'll be able to, um, at least get some good, good feedback from that. If we do need to, 
you know, make any drastic changes or even if it is a small change. Yeah, that'll be handy with him being at the race for you for that first weekend. I'm sure that would be just a bit of a comfort side of things for you as well, just to, to know that he's there if you do need it. You might not, but you, you you might want to. Yeah, and who knows who knows what we'll do in the next three weeks or so to to figure the bike out a little bit better and, and make some changes. So it's all just kind of wait and see and, and see how we feel. Yeah, nice. So whereabouts in, in Texas are you and where are you riding week to week at the moment? Like, uh, I gather it's a little private facility or track that you've got a, probably a couple of people going to. Um, so I live in Decatur, Texas, which um, there's a, uh, a national track, Oak Hill, that used to have a big GNCC and um, is now the, the spring of ding here for oh, a yes. little playground. Yep. Yep. So um, they built us a super cross track last year. So we ride there as well as um, the Ford brothers who race uh, actually ATVs. Um, they built us a track. And then occasionally we go up to, uh, to Maspel's place, which for me, all of those tracks are within 40 minutes. So, oh, that's you know, we got a nice selection of tracks to go ride, you know, whenever um, one's prepped or, or the other and, you know, who decides to go where. Yeah. But typically we all... Typically, we all go go to the same place. Yeah, I'm assuming it's probably better that you all go at the same time, so that the one the track, you know, usage is is even. Um, but also, then you got you know people safety wise in terms of something something goes wrong. But um, gate you got a speed gauge as well at each place to to see how it's all working out for you. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, for me, it's nice because I can kind of kind of judge where i'll be at at the races based on on the guys i'm riding with so um for me it's just just trying to get close to them and and build up the the moto fitness yeah that's oh that's going to be a hard one for you and i'm assuming that first time you do get a a 20 plus one in a main event is going to be a a bit of a shock to the system at that point because you you know as much as you've trained for it it's all different when you hit the racetrack and that much time off it's it's gonna just shock the body yeah, right. I guess right now I just need to figure out the uh, the one lap heaters and the six minute motos. The twenty minutes will figure itself out. <laughs> just need to get into them. Well, that's is that's part of the problem, isn't it? Like if you can focus on the longer duration all you want, but if you don't qualify through, there's no point worrying about it. So yeah, you do need to have that like a qualifying speed and yeah, something to to make it out of a heat race. <laughs> yeah, so I guess uh, I guess that'll be the plan. Like I said, we'll we'll let the twenty minute moto figure itself out. <laughs> so, what about you? Had probably apart from the injury last year, you had probably one of the busiest schedules that I could see going around in terms of the different venues and tracks and series that you're going across. And obviously, you didn't quite get all of them in at the end of it. There, you missed out on the two World Supercross rounds. But if everything comes back to normal here in a couple of weeks for you and you're back on the racing schedule, are we just doing the AMA in 2024 or have we been talking other things and talking other plans or is it just let's go simple for a year and get everything back in order yeah we'll probably just stick with the AMA stuff this year um trying to make through make it through the rest of the the races healthy and um see if we can can build on that and be be ready for next year yeah that's probably- I, don't, I don't do to do any more of these off-season races unless something um cool presents itself but 
yeah, it's probably probably nice just to get everything, you know, back back working well for you in terms of body, you know, familiarity with the bike and all that sort of things. But I'm sure if somebody calls with the right dollar value, you can say yes at some point. Yeah. Plus, you know, it's hard to say right now because you know we haven't gotten any gate drops. So, um, but this this much time off, you know, I'm sure the the first couple will be kind of a, a surprise. So. Um, we'll just we'll see where we're at and see what comes up. Yeah, definitely. And I'd be remiss not to ask, but how was the time? A very short time because I think you only got the one round uh, in the end with uh, with the Aussie guys, the CDR team there last year with World Supercross. So, how was it for the short time that you were with them? Um, I mean, the race itself didn't go great, but the uh, the group of guys that I was working with over there were pretty cool. So. Um, I was stoked on the opportunity get opportunity they gave me and um, appreciate the support from them. Yeah, nice. They're they're an interesting group. They've obviously been around a long time in the Australian scene and seem to have it sort of worked out reasonably well with obviously the Yamaha support and that and seem to have a good crew there. So, you know, there's never been been a bad point for them really they've always been quite successful so yeah it was just awesome to see that you're on there just disappointed that you didn't get to um, really take advantage of it i guess yeah i was uh i was really stoked to go back to uh australia and even check out dubai so um you never know we'll, we may be back we may not we'll see yeah definitely well, Grant, look, it's it's been awesome to catch up with you and just sort of check in on obviously this recovery process. It's it's quite a, a long thing for you this time around and a bit different than, than sort of some of the other injuries to take longer times. It's not the usual ACL or something. So it's nice to catch up and, um, you know, hear that you're going well and hopefully we'll see you on track in, what is it, three weeks' time. So, yeah, that sounds, sounds like a plan. Yep. Yeah, sounds good. I appreciate the call. No worries. Thanks for joining us on the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Liat Moto Australia. We'll um, see, uh, hopefully see you in Texas at, in three weeks. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Hey, this is Cole Thompson, and you're listening to Always Moto. All right, guys and girls, we are back. Thanks for sticking around on the Always Moto podcast. Great to hear from our two guests this week. Uh, Grant Harlan there from Rock River Yamaha and Matt Bell from HBI Racing Kawasaki. Some nice chat there, obviously, to check in with with Grant, catch up. Hopefully, we can see him at Texas Round, like he indicated. I dare say he's on track for that. We had a bit of a chat after the record there as well, and he, it hasn't been completely smooth sailing. Obviously, that pelvic injury is difficult to, to get back from, but he is working pretty hard by the sounds of it, and, and you know things are getting there slowly. He's obviously not pumped on the progress and that, but... He's going to be there pretty damn soon. That number 23 is going to be in a stadium here very soon on that uh, bike with Harlan's name just above it on his back of his shirt. All right, this week, this week's race. This week's race is at Glendale, Arizona, um, back into the western side of the country. Arizona, for those that don't know or haven't been there, very, very dry, very, very hot in summertime. Um, you know, not too much there in terms of greenery on the ground. Uh, but it's a very um, dry climate, generally speaking. Now, from the weather side of things, obviously Glendale is a massive stadium, as we mentioned earlier, in terms of the floor space and the track space. So it's an indoor stadium. They have a retractable roof. It will be temperature-wise inside of that will be obviously somewhat controlled because of that roof. Outside, it's going to be mostly sunny, 6 to 14 degrees. Now, unless that changes, there is some talk that maybe there's a little bit of rain in the days prior 
Uh, it's been unfor- un- uncharacteristically wet in California, which is obviously the next state over. Um, so whether that's happening over into the Arizona state as well, I have to wait and see. But yeah, look, race day, they'll be fine. There'll be no weather issues in, in Arizona. They have a roof. That's plenty good. Now, in terms of the viewing times, and again, this is for New South Wales uh, listeners in terms of that's the time that I'm going off because that's the one that I'm sitting in. So when I look at the app, that's what it tells me. So you've got to adjust if you're in Queensland, South Australia, WA, etc. But from New South Wales point of view, race day live will start at 7 a.m. Racing, the main coverage for the racing starts from 12.30 p.m. Uh, so it's very similar to those earlier rounds in California, which is nice. It's a reasonable time. Those times are very reasonable for us here in Australia on that Sunday morning to be watching Supercross, which is good. Now, I unfortunately probably won't be watching it live. We will be uh, – I think we're going to be doing a kickstart day with the kids so that the kids have their you know sign-off for the licenses as such for this year, which will be awesome. Um, so I'll be watching it on a bit of a delay. So nobody send me a message and, and spoil the results, all right? You know, people out there, you love to do it. I stay off the group chat because the group, the always motor group chat's always firing off at that point. Um, I've got to stay out of that so I don't see the results. So nobody send me any messages, all right? Thank you. All right, but that's it for the show. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. It's been awesome to have you again here for episode 96. Don't forget, send in those T-shirt orders. We really need your support. Info at alwaysmoto.com to get a T-shirt. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things injury and moto. Search Always Moto and follow and subscribe. Give us some feedback too. We've been doing some different um, reels slash stories this week um, and last on the Instagram side of things for the team press releases. Just use, utilizing that information that's coming through to help one, tick over the social platforms, but to bring out some of those comments that you might not see otherwise from the PRs. So let me know if you like them or not. We've been trying to do a bit, bit, bit more creative um, picturing in Imaging and stuff as well to try and catch the eye and using muties and all that. So if you like them, let me know. That'd be awesome. I'll keep doing them. Now, on terms of the podcast, obviously make sure you're subscribed or following the feed so you get the next show automatically. If the podcast app allows, leave a rating. That'd be greatly appreciated. If you haven't already found our YouTube channel as well, head over there, subscribe to the channel. It's getting a little bit of traction. I would like to get a lot more if you could. That'd be great. Thank you. Don't forget to check out the written articles that we do over on fullnoise.com.au. Um, they are going really well, so make sure you check out that stuff. And whatever else is on Full Noise, there's always something interesting from the guys there, Gary and Aaron. They're obviously working pretty hard in the background, bringing out that stuff. Um, there's product reviews. There's lots of racing news. So keep an eye on it. <clears throat> it's worth checking out. But that's it. Thanks for another show. Thanks to Elite Moto Australia, Pivot Pegs, Competitive Edge Performance, Slantboard Guy, Endurance Recovery Boots, Tech 167 3D Printing, and Technic Motorsport for the show support. Thank you to those guys and girls. Thanks to the uh, Fantasy League sponsors, Coastal Motorcycle Centre and Helltech Australia. Um, and if you haven't already too, check out Helltech Australia's post around Seth Hamaker. Um, there's the videos and stuff there. Check them out. That's it. Thanks for the wife and kids for letting letting me get this done again this week. It's awesome. Uh, but remember, you've got to be smooth to be fast because if you're not, I'll probably be seeing you deep in the emergency department, maybe even the clinic having strapping tape thrown wherever it will stick. And remember, but there is sometimes you've just got to trust that time heals 99% of everything.